Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. And welcome once again to another episode of the Retro Red Octopus Cephala Podcast, the only show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. We are part of the Dorkening and Inebriart Podcast Networks, and as always, we are brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. I am your host, 8-Bit Alchemy, and with me is my ever-so-not-Disney-produced cohort, Parasite Steve. I am what I am. I would tell you what you wanted to know if I could... For you have been kind to me, but I'm a cat, and no cat anywhere ever gave anyone a straight answer. Yar. <laughs> Ain't it the truth? But you know what is also a straight answer and also the truth? We are joined by a third person tonight, but they are not Nintendo. That's right, listening audience. Nintendo wasn't feeling great. He's going to voice in. He's going to call in. We'll have his, his thoughts but right now, here in the studio, we have a third strange new presence. It's none other than Jesse Jameson. Hi, Jesse. Hi, how's it going? Pretty good. <laughs> hey, um, yeah, how's it going? So Je- Jesse is friend of the podcast and, uh, and an excellent resource for the things that we're going to be talking about tonight. So he has been summoned. He has been called upon to bring his wealth of knowledge to all of you. And you might be asking, well, what the hell are we talking about? And I might be saying, well, you already know what we're talking about because you clicked on the episode, which has a title in the future. I'm yeah. recording it now. Yeah. So this joke you never gets dummies. old. But this is the joke that God. I'm sticking to. So the episode, now that you've clicked on it and already know, is going to be about cartoon movies that were not made by Disney because there are so many of them. And I feel like they often just kind of get scuttled and they get kind of like, you know, swept under the rug by accident. You know, people tend to just like, you know, focus on the big, big ones that everyone talks about with Disney and stuff. And so I really wanted a, a platform to talk about some of the awesome cartoon movies of yesteryear and uh, and even not as yester of year. Um, but, uh, you know, I thought that it would be fun to, to talk about. So we'll do, do kind of like our round table style. We'll do, um, you know, each of us kind of throwing a pick out there and, uh, and then do our octoponder and we'll do our second picks at the end. So you guys know the formula. We're here for it. Um, <laughs> Just real quick, I want to just... They have no choice. They're in it now. They've already hit hit play. play. (laughs) You're screwed now. Your phone has deleted all other apps until this hour and some odd minutes uh, podcast is up. Is that true? 
Yes, that's true. Don't check. Oh my you can't, god! You can't. I... Don't back out of your podcast. Wouldn't have Just keep listening. Yes, Back. yes. Uh, it's a it's a very scary world out there. Uh, but I wanted to give Jesse an opportunity since the audience is not familiar with you. Do you have anything like a boilerplate that you want to say about yourself that describes like you know who you are as as a geek or anything like that? Like you know, get let the audience know you in a sentence or two. Well, basically, it boils down to I own nearly every gaming console that has ever been made back to the Atari 2600 somewhere in my possession. Um, the way uh, back machine. Oh, uh, yeah. Very far back. Um, <laughs> and my computer currently consists of more games than I actually have time to play or enjoy at this point. Um, other than that, I've been avid in D&D my entire life, and any other variant of role-playing game, I'm usually very much willing to get into and sometimes even take control of, although I think I, <laughs> I, think I contribute more as a player than I do as the, uh, <laughs> uh, the DM <laughs> most of the time. I don't know. I've de I've I've been a participant in your DMing endeavors, and I'd say that uh, they were some of the best I've had. So I gotta <laughs> well, <thank> say, <laughs> yeah, 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 good at both. Um, yeah, D and D is an is another topic that we'll have to circle back around to. We've had one episode where we got to talk about that, but you would also be huge on that, and uh, and could maybe swing back around to. But awesome. All right. So introductions aside. Uh, yeah. Let's get in. Let's get into the flicks. Let's get into the movies. Uh, and so I'm going to start with one that not, like no one out there is hoping for. Not a single person is like, God, I hope they cover this movie because this movie was so important to my childhood. But tough shit. It's my episode. Give the people what they pick want. This goddamn movie. So Sometimes. I watched this movie. I watched this movie so much. Holy shit. Uh, okay, so it is the Chipmunk Adventure. Woo! That's right, Alvin. Alvin and the Chipmunks. The Chipmunk Adventure released in 1987. Uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks were created by Ross Bagdasarian. Uh, the movie was directed by Janice Carmen and written by Carmen and Ross Bagdasarian Jr. The story of this movie is as follows. Please just bear with me. The Chipmunks and the Chipettes are competing in a round-the-world hot air balloon race as funded by two complete random strangers in the arcade that they happen to be in that day called Klaus and Claudia Furstein. The chipmunks and the chipeks are pitted against each other, each team with a set of dolls that they must deliver to 12 checkpoints around the globe. And... They will in turn receive dolls of the opposite team. Now, okay. I'm telling you that these people met the chipmunks that day. And they had already placed exact doll replicas of these chipmunks 12 places around the fucking globe. They it's moved good thing fast. those kids didn't say no. Right? They had a lot set up already. Or it's a good uh, thing those those kids didn't go to Waterloo that day instead. Right? I mean, geez, if they went to Water Country or some shit and tried to have some fun, they would have missed out on all of this. I mean, you know, it's it's pretty mind-boggling that they were able to pull this all off. But the chipmunks were told, hey, whoever wins this race gets $100,000. And the chipmunks are, you know, they have the intellectual age of like a 
seven year old i really always had a hard time placing like how old the chipmunk should be right um but hundred thousand dollars you know sounds amazing uh so yeah they they go on this race and the race uh basically takes them all over the world they they don't have any trouble flying a hot air balloon they're able to get in and out of like countless countries with no fucking problem in like pretty good time like i think a couple <laughs> days had gone by and there was a phone call check-in and they're like oh the girls have already made it to seven of their stops like, like they hit seven places <laughs> around the globe in 48 hours what the fuck they're in a hot air balloon it's like the world's wow. least urgent form of travel it's literally made for leisure you're not going anywhere quickly so that was I mean, like a <laughs> I mean, that one guy did it in 80 days but. he did do it in 80 days but that's 80 <sighs> fucking days um i don't know so so anyway uh in the in the process of all this stuff one of the dolls ends up getting ripped open and the chipmunks find out that they are filled with diamonds and that the dolls that they've been trading are filled with cash so they have been inadvertently hired right. as mules as mules, right. diamond smuggling. I was just gonna say they're not chipmunks at all. <laughs> they're mules. It's the mule adventure. Hee-haw. Um, so he So like, what a goddamn plot, right? And <laughs> this movie only is like an hour in change. It's like an hour in five minutes or nine minutes or something. And they they really cover a lot. Um, I used to watch this movie religiously, honestly. Um, so the the cast, real quick, um, Ross Bagdasarian Jr., the son of the creator, is the voice of Alvin, Simon, and David, which I didn't ever know that. Uh, Janice Carmine plays yeah. Theodore, Brittany, Jeanette, and Eleanor. Uh, Dodie Goodman is Miss Miller, who is a highlight of the movie. Miss Miller is a treasure. Uh, Susan Terrell Should is be Claudia protected Hochstein at all costs. All, all, all of the costs. Uh, Anthony DeLongis is Klaus Froschstein, and Frank Welker is everything else. Uh, Sophie, Baby Penguin, Native Chief, and additional voices. Uh, and then Ken Sansom is the Inspector Jamal, who's a cool character. He starts off, you think he's just the, like, he's this you're led to believe that these bad guys are after the chipmunk, the whole movie trying to steal the dolls. And you're supposed to be thinking like, Oh, these are bad guys who like are trying to stop them for some reason. Uh, we don't know about the diamond plot yet, uh, but you learn later that they're actually cops and they're trying to stop the diamond smuggling. Uh, cops. And then cops. It's what's for breakfast. Uh, Nancy That's Cartwright. That's not how that goes. No, it's not. Uh, Nancy Cartwright is the Arabian prince. Nancy Cartwright, we might know as Bart. We do. Uh, uh, but yeah, the Arabian prince is not a character who's like... Nancy Cartwright has a very distinct voice, right? But the scene with the Arabian prince, I never would have guessed that it was Bart Simpson. I think that <laughs> her voice is surprisingly different. But now knowing it, it's like I can't not hear it. Um, so anyway, that's the cast. Uh, this movie was actually made with a lot of animators from The Black Cauldron. Um, when the Black Cauldron came and it didn't do well, a lot of the animators lost their jobs, and uh, Ross Bagdasarian hired a bunch of them to work on that. This movie. Is friggin' fascinating because I think like it's killing me. It's killing me. To, I have to say this: this movie is animated preposterously well. 
preposterously well. Like, the animation so across the board in this movie is nuts. Yeah, it's it honestly. I I just rewatched it and going through. It, I'm like, God, this movie looks amazing. It really right. has some of the most like believable character animations, especially with Klaus, uh, Klaus and Claudia. The two of them, the brother and sister, are like insanely well animated. They're so lifelike and realistic, mm. and they have so many fluid animations. It's like, oh my god, they yeah. really fucking went above and beyond. And the character designs too. Like the the chipmunks did not look like this before. This this was like the new the start of a new era of how they they drew the chipmunks. If you look at them previously, just in the eighties, even don't no don't need to go all the way back to the sixties. Yeah, like they look completely different and. I, re- I distinctly remember that in the show that was on like TV afterwards, they adopted the art style of this movie. So this became yeah. so the like new definitive. template. And, uh, and I was so happy. I'm like, I love these new looks. They, they're, they're way cuter. They look great. Like they have color to their eyes. The old ones didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just more, they're just cuter. They're just more Disney-fied, really, but not actually <laughs> Disney. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yes, they they have that very charismatic animated, you know, animal kind of quality that Disney movies often had. Um and yeah, I I I religiously watched this thing. Um mm. but yeah, I was so so interested to find out that the Black Cauldron, you know, staff worked on this movie. Yeah. That no movie idea. is also gorgeous. Um but uh, yeah, so I, I, apparently production of this movie was really difficult. Um, there was over 150 animators that had to be hired to help make the film. It is it is barely over an hour. Wow, barely over an hour. It is a very short animated movie, and it it required over 150 animators. Um, some sections of the movie were cut entirely. There was supposed to be a trip to a zoo in Russia um, that they just didn't do, so they cut it. Um, the the music throughout the movie was a humongous highlight they had a lot of original songs and they were awesome uh like no joke like legitimately really good really catchy well-written songs uh standout ones were the girls of rock and roll diamond dolls and off to see the world uh the composer was randy edelman and he was contacted to score the film with the london philharmonic orchestra pretty big deal for a chipmunks movie like i don't know Mm. i mean i guess the chipmunks were just bigger bigger cheese back then like now they just kind of feel like one of many you know kind of passe properties that's just not really catching on but in 87 i guess like i don't know yeah they had a they had a pretty good resurgence in the 80s honestly yeah yeah um so yeah i mean so i mean that that's really telling like how much they were able to put into this short movie uh and uh and so my my like my favorite scene in this friggin' movie. Uh, so there's, there's the chipmunks half. The reason why the chipmunks are allowed to do any of this crap is because they're home with a babysitter because Dave had to go to Europe for work, and so they need to get they need to find a way to convince their babysitter, Miss Miller, to let them leave and go to Europe. So what they do is they have a tape recorder. And they call Dave in the middle of the fucking night, like dark, dead ass asleep Dave. They call him and Alvin has like a checklist of all the words that he needs Dave to say so that they can <laughs> to make the tape. Dave to make so the Dave make, soundboard. So they can make the Dave soundboard. And uh, and so he's got everything written down and he's like, OK, he knows the assignment. And he's just like, hi, Dave. And he's like, 
hello and he's like okay cool. cross it out got hello and then he's like guess who's in the house with us it's theodore and simon and alvin and he's like miss miller he's like yes crossing it off and like perfect like super organic right and uh and so he like finally gets everything and and alvin's like okay i've got everything i need uh i mean all right um uh well that about does it um bye bye dave and he's just like uh alvin he's like bye bye dave and he goes bye-bye and that was the last thing he needed it was just a bye-bye so <laughs> then he like hangs up he's all psyched and uh, simon's bye-bye. like bye-bye and uh simon's like okay so how are what do we do now like and he's like we just edit the tape together and we make up we make us you know make the make the voicemail and then we're off to see europe i'm like there is so much editing in between there that was like a wicked long conversation that you have and you guys legitimately have a tape and nothing else like what do you you don't have software like how are you gonna edit this tape right. together and cut they and do they, actual right, cut they, and paste right where it's like oh this looks like it says hello um <laughs> like how would how would you know so it's so funny oh, uh, you know obviously man. as a kid it's like i don't think about any of this stuff so watching right. this movie again now is a delight because all this stuff was like funny in a new way wait, 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 wait. Um, you never thought about this when you were a kid I Honestly, had this all figured out back when I was a kid. You had one tape recorder and another tape recorder, and they were like right next to each other. And you re- you hit the record buttons opposite each other when you had the one recorder. There you go. What you wanted the other right. one, t- tape right. recorder to record. Right. So as soon as it says it, you're like boop boop boop. No. Well, okay, that's how you do it, but that's not what I was talking about. I just meant I'm not thinking about the movie's logistics when I'm watching it. I'm just watching the movie. So that is how you would do that, but that's not what I was thinking about. Um, but so anyway, they they clip the whole thing together, and she she uh, they're at breakfast the next morning, and they're like, okay. Uh, Alvin's like, okay. Simon, I think it's time that you go upstairs and do the laundry. And he's like eating his breakfast, not even paying attention. He's like, Simon. He's like, oh, okay. And like goes upstairs, places the fake phone call downstairs. Miss Miller picks it up and he hits, he hits play on the, on the tape thing, but he also hits the eject button. So like, it starts to like, like the tape gets all screwed up and like warbled. And so she's like, hello. And then David's on the other line. He's like, bro, and she's like david are you drunk and uh and and simon's just shitting his pants like in the bed trying to fix this tape because it's just going nuts and he's like oh my god and he finally fixes it and gets it back together slams the thing shut and hits play and you just get hello miss miller i want alvin simon and theodore to meet me in europe Bye bye, and then she, <laughs> and then she just is on the phone, and she goes, "David, can you repeat that?" And Alvin just like hawks his cereal across the fucking room. He's like, "Ah, he's so done." And uh, and I mean, they just cut to the next scene, and it's like I don't know, mission accomplished, right? They, they're they're about to go on the the hot air balloon, but it's just that whole production is like my favorite thing. I love that sequence. It's so funny. 
Oh man, love oh, it. Oh my god, it's just like it's. I can hear the exact like saying of it in my head. It's just in there. Um, I and, I, and it's it's extra funny too that she also has to allow them on a hot air balloon because that wasn't <laughs> specifically, you know, described no. in the tape. So they're like, "Oh yeah, hi, Miss Miller." You're like, "Oh, and we're get, we got to go here and like." What she just like drops them off? Not let like, the seven-year-olds play in this trip. Like a hot air balloon is definitely not happening, right? <laughs> nope. She just drops them off. She's like, okay, that's fine. She's like all southern. She has like this big like pompadour of hair. She's always singing. She's like, come on to my house, come on to my house. I'll make you a date and a cake and a raisin a cake. I don't I wonder, know. She's like wonder, always singing random shit. I wonder if Ashes knows about Miss Miller. I feel like she would love Miss Miller. Oh, total, totally. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. right up Ashes Alley. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so my last note on the movie was it was first released uh, on VHS in uh, November of 1987 uh, for $80. So that was normal. <clears throat> right. Yeah. That's like that's like the price of VHS. Right. When, they, when, when movies would first come out, it was really only for video stores. It was so they could recoup a little cost. So they pay um, more and then, and then they can rent it out. Yep. And then eventually it would be cheaper. You'd make your money back. Yeah. yeah. And then we we yep. then we'd see the tapes for like you know, at Suncoast for like twenty bucks or something. Okay. Yeah, right. So, so that that makes sense. The the market was less about home video; it was about renting, you know, selling to stores. It, well, yeah, it was just a little different. I mean, honestly, it's kind of like the same thing that happens now with streaming. Like, you know, you'll see it, mm. whatever movie that was in theaters two weeks ago, you'll see it hit certain streaming services, you know, like Prime or something like that, are going to have it, but it's going to be like twenty six dollars or something like that, and yep. eventually it'll come down, and you know, you can get right. five ninety nine or whatever. <clears throat> yeah technically um, you could get it right not, you not 80 but it's still like inflated right i ponied up 80 bucks and bought the chipmunk adventure the day it came out yeah oh. yeah how many of you out there can claim that huh you actually um, bought the cassette huh i mean i didn't the, the <laughs> movie, you know, four years before i was born uh but the 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 release we, of the movie that I had it. was was from 1991. Oh yeah, yeah, I mean I watched it all the time. I, yeah. I owned it. Yeah, um, but we, I didn't personally buy. It. I was a, we didn't was, we I, didn't spend eighty dollars on any movie ever. That's for sure. No, for sure. Yeah, I was just doing a bit. Um, but yeah, so the the film's home video release was by Warner Home Video, uh, and it was twenty dollars. Um, that's mm. much that's much better, like you said. Much better. Uh, and that's the that's the version that I had as a kid. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't until high school that I met a single other living soul that had seen this movie. And then I met like two two of those living souls. And I remember a few times we would get together on Fridays and just watch random, random movies. And uh, and this was one of the, the frequenters uh, was the Chipmunk Adventure. Nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I am I am guessing that neither of you guys have seen this movie terribly much. Oh, that's much. crap. <laughs> I watched I mean, that movie when I was a kid. I knew the guy, nice. the Chipmunks and Chipmunk Adventure. That was a nice. great movie. It was a great movie. <laughs> I mean, it was my tape you were watching, so I mean, I I, I really liked it. I was a, I was a fan. Like I, awesome. I thought it was great. Yeah, um, it's it's just so good. It's like it's just the only thing of the Chipmunks that I truly love. Like is yeah, this movie? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing that I remember the most. I mean, I watched I watched them on TV, but I don't yeah. have anything specific i mean i you know something like ducktales i remember so many specific episodes i don't remember one single chipmunk episode ever yeah 
Right. I remember bits. I remember they would like cover songs. I remember like he would you know, like Alvin singing "Bad to the Bone," but, yeah. I, but like I, <clears throat> I couldn't tell you the plot of a single episode ever. But then they put out that movie, and I was like, "Yep, this is completely awesome." And I remember they did a couple of directed VHS sequels that had the same art style, probably not the same production value. But um, I remember there was like a a, a were monk where uh theodore turned into a werewolf and um oh yeah it was like the tale of the weremonk or something like that um but it was the same drawing style just Mm -hmm. nothing nothing could come close to that first movie like the production value was insane so Mm -hmm. good looking Yeah, yeah absolutely awesome um any other thoughts on this movie before we we move on going once Hmm. going twice I mean, I think Klaus and Claudia were really surprisingly good bad guys for a kids yeah. movie. Um, I j- I'll just say that it feels like it's on an island. It's it's it. I mean, even with the sequels, they weren't of the quality, like I said. And like, I don't know that it, it doesn't. It doesn't go with anything. It doesn't. It's not like you can be like, oh, it's the new DreamWorks, or oh, it's the right. new from this director that you're f- familiar with, or there are similar other ones that are, you know. Or of the style or something. It's just, it really is bizarre. It's, it really is this singular thing, the singular chipmunk thing. Like, I don't know. Right. Yeah. It's interesting how it, there's nothing else like of that. that quality with those drawings. Like, yeah. For sure, the I subsequent know. sequels were not. Yeah. The same I mean, you see the, 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 <laughs> the girls of rock and roll song, and it's like, oh my God, like the way that they animate them, like running up and down the stairs and like dancing and all that other stuff. Like they yeah. must have done choreography with mm-hmm. real people and then mm-hmm. just like made it look right for chipmunk bodies. Like I feel like that's so impressive because all the choreography, it's like it totally works. It looks awesome for these like little super deformed guys. Yeah. Absolutely. The the choreography was one of the things that impressed me about that movie. It was um, just, I'd never really been a fan of like animated films with heavy, heavy musical numbers and things like that. Um, especially not the, uh, the off Disney stuff. Disney always had um, great music to accompany their, uh, their movies and what have you. But a lot of the, um, the things like Fern Gully and all dogs go to heaven have some of these big musical numbers that come out of nowhere and have yeah. nothing to do with the movie. Yeah, totally. But it works really well in the Chipmunks movie because that's what they do. That was right. Like, they're singing groups. They're groups. They're exactly. bands. Yeah, right. it totally works. Yeah, it's a deal. Yeah, absolutely. Totally um, agree. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a great movie back in the day. I um, one of the best bait and switches. Um, of the uh, the police inspectors, you know, seeming to be the bad guys and seeming to be the henchmen yeah. throughout the movie, and then it's like, oh, <laughs> wait a minute, <laughs> right? I mean, right? I mean, for adult standards, it wasn't great, but you know, back when you were a kid, you were like, oh, I did not see that coming. What the, what, what, right? Yeah, what the heck? 
exactly it was a great you know plot twist for a kid's movie and right. you know felt Agreed. awesome in the final act when he's you know rushing dave to go save his kids it's like oh my god that's so cool like you went from the whole movie being scared of this guy to in one instant being like oh my god he's awesome like he's so great he's helping him out he's like gonna rush him to the airport he's like get in i'm inspector jamal like he just like takes off he's like what a cool dude so that was that was totally an awesome moment um yeah yeah i don't know i love this movie i'm so glad that you guys have have both a lot of experience with it because I, I truly just grew up with this movie, but like no one ever talked about it at all. So it kind of was mm -hmm. just like a thing that existed in my zeitgeist, but like no one, no one else I knew. Um, but yeah, definitely was, was like really happy when I thought about it. I was like, Oh my God, this shit, my convention. I have to at least do that. Cause there's, there's so many great ones that we're going to talk about. Um, so, okay. So why don't we go to Jesse? Let's do your first pick. Alrighty. Um, my first pick for this is, I mean, there's kind of a theme here with, uh, you know, movies that nobody really, you don't really expect anybody to recognize. And yep. um, my movie that uh, for my first pick was um, a movie called Flight of Dragons. Nice. And this was a movie back when I was a kid. I mean, I saw this movie when I was extremely young, um, somewhere between the ages of four and five, and it it was a wonderful movie to me. It was an absolutely great movie to me, and then it just disappeared. Like you, you talk about nobody talking about the Chipmunks movie. This was a movie that, like just vanished <laughs> they, they like never played it again it's not like it showed up on vhs tapes in your uh, in your blockbuster or your your movie gallery or what have you they just the movie just disappeared off the face of the earth and when i'm 9 10 11 years old i'm left wondering did my childhood brain just conjure this delusion what was this actually a thing yeah did this movie happen? <laughs> but um, it it was actually a movie. It uh, it was done by the Rankin Bass Studios, the same people who did um, all of those stop motion animation movies for um, Christmas. Rudolph. Uh, yeah. Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, and um, I mean Rankin Bass has some of my favorite stuff in it. Um, Me too. It was. It was a movie that was done in a similar style to um, the the first Hobbit movies and the first um, Lord of the Rings stuff. It had that strange style of animation to it that was partially rotoscoped, um, that where every every one of the characters seemed to be talking just a little bit hesitantly, like. Mm. All of the all of the dialogue in all of these movies seems hesitated because it looks like the animation has to catch up to what's actually being said. That's interesting. Uh, I've never thought that, but I yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. If you ever want to see that 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 moment encapsulized crystal clear, um, uh, Rankin Bass Studios did the uh, you know the Fellowship of the Ring stuff as well and. When Gandalf is yanking Sam through the window at Frodo's house at the beginning of the movie, you know, 
just that you expect these two characters to have a much more immediate dialogue <laughs> and for it to flow a lot quicker than it just seems to. And so so that one that one's Bakshi. That one's Ralph Bakshi oh. that you're talking about. So yeah. the Rankin Bass is the Hobbit, and then they did do Return of the King, but all the stuff from Fellowship uh, and all the rotoscope stuff, that is actually Ralph Bakshi, and that was kind of his bag. He always did rotoscoping and everything like that. Uh, but yeah, well, but yeah, very like you know similar contemporary styles. Back to uh, being on topic, though. Flight of Dragons yeah. was a um, it was a movie so in good. which oh you yeah so you uh, the general premise for those people who are unfamiliar with the movie is that um you have uh the wizard cornelius who is the green wizard who or corleonis yes corleonis. it's carolinus is it carolinus yeah is that, like is that carolina is that south or north <laughs> right. I know, I know. I, 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 just, I just watched it, and I'm like, his name is so weird. What is it? And it's like Carol Carolinus. I'm like, Carolinus. So, um, he is the Green Wizard, and um, as the human world embraces science, magic starts to dwindle from the world, and this gets represented by things like mills and water wheels, and um, using you know the power of the natural world and bending it to your will. And as this happens, magic is being siphoned away. It's starting to die. And um, the wizard Carolinus, apparently, <laughs> uh, he summons his brothers um, to a council meeting to try and determine they what They do is not look related. Oh, no. <laughs> I think they might have a different Wait. dad. <laughs> That's exactly what Stephanie said too. We were watching it. It's like, they definitely all have different dads, and I'm like, they kind of look like they might all have different moms. She's like, oh, <laughs> um, it was so funny. So yeah, they gather together to try and determine um, what is to be done, and they want, and you know, Carolinus wants to make a magical sanctuary. Um, that's cut off from the rest of the world where there's basically just a small pocket of magic left that can endure throughout the ages. And I don't want to live in some magical retirement home. <laughs> <laughs> the magical retirement village. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, so um, the wizard Omicron or uh, Omad Omadon. Omadon. The, Omadon, the wizard yeah. Omadon who is the red wizard of evil and darkness who got an wonder invite. if he's the bad guy <laughs> why do we need one who might be the bad guy in this here story we have <laughs> but he gets an invite and like Warp it, it gets questioned like why are you inviting him to this meeting it's just right like, he sucks know, dude <laughs> good I mean, there's a reason that maleficent was not invited to the baby <laughs> To the bris or whatever it was. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he shows up and he's like, I'm not going to cower in the shadows. I'm going to use mankind's addiction to technology and warp it uh, using, you know, greed and avarice and mankind's tendency towards self-destruction and just have humanity destroy itself. And then I will rule the magical world that's left behind. And, and honestly, that scheme and the way that they animate that whole thing 
is so awesome. Like, that has to be one of my favorite parts of the movie is, like, how malicious his plan is, is, like, I don't need to, I don't need to hide. I'm just going to use my power to further the evils already that is in man's mind and make them destroy themselves. It's like, holy shit, man. That's so dark. That's, like, we crazy. Suck. You're we playing totally the long game. Right, you're playing the wicked long game, dude. And it's just, like, uh, the way that they animate it with the bulldozers and everything, just, like, crushing out all the, the wildlife and stuff. It's so cool. It's really mm-hmm. well done. Um, and that's, you know, when I was a kid watching this whole thing, I mean, and the voice acting, you have a star studded tier. Oh you have God. a star studded oh, cast going into this. Big um, time. John Ritter plays, um, uh, uh, Peter Dickinson. Um, yeah, P- James Earl yeah. Jones plays, uh, uh, Obadon and, uh, Henry Morgan or, um, Colonel Potter from MASH plays uh carolinas oh my god um, i didn't realize oh my god that's that's insane i didn't realize <laughs> that that's so, that, i didn't realize that one that's so cool um, yeah wow and uh it just it, it's a it the entire movie was um just wonderful as a kid now um i also rewatched the movie recently you know uh, preparing for this event and I started to catch on to a lot, uh, several of the details as to why this movie may have faded out in regards to there are some very cringy story elements to this. Yeah. And there are certain aspects to it where I, you know, when I'm writing or when I'm creating, uh, when I'm writing up a story or I'm thinking of D&D stuff, there were things that really this movie really influenced me back when i was a little kid and i only learned later in life that these are things you don't really do things like self-insertion and what i mean by that is the story flight of dragons was written by peter dickinson who wrote himself as the main character of the story. Mm. What does that guy think he is? Stephen King? <laughs> Come on. You, yeah, you're so self-centered. You put yourself as a star, you don't know damn story. I mean, it's just like, you just don't do that. It's tacky. Uh, and not only does he write himself as the main character of his own story, he references the book he's writing in the stories. He's talking to Carolinas um, about the book that he's trying to write, and Carolinas is like, oh, yes, I have that book, and he pulls the book off the shelf. <laughs> he's just like... Spaceballs! Oh, <laughs> no, no peeking at the end! That would be cheating! <laughs> it, it's just one of those moments where, as a kid, I thought it was brilliant, and as an adult, I'm like, Oh, oh no, no, no! That is that is bootstrapping of the highest caliber. You so are you not a are you not a Dark Tower fan then? I I'm not. I I have to admit I'm not familiar with a lot of um, Stephen King's works. I'm sort of uh, I'm I'm vaguely familiar with the premise of Dark Tower, but I. 
I don't have enough knowledge on that to, yeah, to make a so judgment either way. That's that's a, a really modern uh, example Steam of uh, doing that everywhere. to eleven, basically. <laughs> also, uh, done worse by M Night Shyamalan and Lady in the Water, I think. Uh, although he didn't really, he was just he created an analog to himself that he played. Right. So like, it's extra cringy if you ask me. I think it's actually worse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, there, I mean. One of the biggest aspects that I got from rewatching the movie is just how much I valued or how much I do value limited information. Apparently, my childlike mind, and I feel this is a way with a lot of people, fills in the blanks. Yeah. yeah. Because when you watch these movies again when you're an adult, things like, um, you know, Flight of Dragons and... Um, even the rank and best Disney stories and things like that, a lot of things just jump from scene to scene to scene yeah, with almost no transition. And yeah, the, the Chumak adventure, like I was saying, it's like they're just smash cutting from one place to another. <laughs> and as a kid, it's like I never even thought about it. I never right. even thought twice about that. But as an adult, I'm like, what? How, how are we in Fiji now? We were just, <laughs> just in Antarctica. It's like, <laughs> oh, you're just boop onto the next thing, whatever. Yeah, Don't worry I, about it. Yeah I, th yeah, I think a lot of that too is the the, the budget and the runtime, what they are allowed to do. But I think I think the way I always explain that in a story is like it's just all bones, no cartilage. There's no connective tissue. It's like you get the actual scenes and stuff like that. But it's like, well, how did you get from one bone to another? What's what's linking these two things? And they don't give that to you. And yeah, you just you just have to fill in the fill in the blank. And sometimes you sort of don't realize, and you just, especially as a kid. But even now, sometimes there are scenes in regular movies just that I'm like, oh yeah, and I, I accept it the first time. And then I'm like, hold on a second, how did they get here? <laughs> Wait a minute. Like like we just What's we just experienced on? this with that Adam Driver movie sixty five. That movie is oh, all gosh. that. It is all that. There's no connective <laughs> tissue at yeah. all. It's constantly it's, just scene to scene, and you don't yeah. know how we, they ever got from one to the next, and that was just the entire movie. Even when the scene should literally be about how we're getting from one to another, they skip yeah. it. It's like, oh, you just cut the scene five minutes early, and now we're, right. now we're, out, now it's we're like, done? It's like the underpants okay. knows. It's like step one, collect underpants. <laughs> step three, huge profit. Like what's step two? I don't know. You're like, step, <laughs> you want me to say step one and three again? <laughs> like, no, I know. I'll tell you how I two. made my profit. <laughs> I know. How do you make the? How do you turn step one into what you, step? What two? aren't you getting? What aren't you getting? Don't know. There's going to be huge profit in the end. It's going to but, be huge profit. But uh, you know that was one of the things. Like um, one of my other favorite movies was also a ranking best movie was. Um, uh, the story of Santa Claus. Now, this wasn't, um, this was like so far off the beaten path that, like, this oh, was this the life, the life and adventures of Santa yes, Claus. Yes, yeah, it, it, it was like so far off the beaten path from all the other Christmas stories. Yes, you, it was. You, you, you didn't have like the traditional Christmas story stuff. You had, um, the father of the forest, <laughs> the great. Who uh, who is looking over his wood nymphs? Yeah, and one of the wood nymphs finds a human child in his forest and decides right, to raise like, him. 
<laughs> Christmas? Is there Christmas in this yeah, it, movie? Yeah, it's literally it's literally Christmas right, by it's, way it's like, of a it's like high fantasy. It's a high so. fantasy. So, do you know yeah, what? Do you know who the author was that wrote the original book? Of the, the life and times? No, I don't. Yeah, so it's life no and adventures. Yeah, and the reason it's so damn different is because it was based on the book. Most of the other ones are based on songs that they flushed out into stories like Santa Claus is coming to town. What could that be? You know, that kind of thing. And they would just sort of come up with everything on their own. But this was actually based on the life and adventures of Santa Claus by L. Frank Baum, who is the writer of the Wizard of Oz books. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah, this was my favorite. This was my favorite when I was a kid. My mom and I loved this one. Oh, I mean, and again, it was one of those movies that, because it was so non-traditional, mm-hmm. I saw it when I, back when I was a kid, and then it disappeared. And it, it was did. like, was was this a fever dream? I mean, I'm standing there telling people about this Christmas movie where fairies and you know tree folk are fighting ogres and demons in the mountains. Right. right. And like there's a. I mean, I'm telling You're like, you, like I didn't make this up. There's a whole freaking war here. Like these people yeah. went to war with each other, and they're like, "I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> and my, uh, that was I, another one where my childlike brain filled in so much mm. of the extraneous details because you know th- that was a pretty stripped down thing. Yes. But the way I remember it was so much more epic. Like I remember that war lasting like. Uh, the runtime for the war is like two minutes, but my mind stretched that out to like a one-hour epic in my head. It was just like all of these freaking <laughs> fairies and creatures are fighting off these dragons and these ogres. It's just like, oh my god! And uh, you know, they chase them off into the hills and like wipe them all out. It's like they will never be returning. <laughs> oh yeah, there there was so goddamn much world building in that movie so many details so they're like telling you the structure of there are all different types of fairies the council of all the different you know high elder spirits was just so fascinating to me even though there are creatures that don't even get lines but they they figured out these great character designs and and uh, my favorite was there was this one guy who was like the spirit of the wind and he was uh, this creepy looking guy who kind of almost looked like the oh, right. almost like the, the the witch doctor from Scooby Doo. If you remember the old uh, the old Scooby Doo episodes, there was a witch doctor character who scared the bejesus out of me. But anyway, this guy was was uh, reminiscent in my kid brain. Anyway, and I he has he has like two lines I think in the movie. This guy quick 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 lines this maybe only one the the wind guy and I really liked him and I don't know there were just there was just a lot there was just a lot there and yeah they're all blink and you miss it you know it's like you know George right. Lucas you know creating all these background Jedi so he could make action figures but that at least makes sense this that wasn't the point you know none <laughs> of these became figures and they weren't merchandising right. anything so it's like why did you bother I don't know just because they believed in the project and they just right because it's cool tilt, and it makes it better full tilt boogie yeah and and so I mean I think Flight of Dragons gets me on that same level so Flight of Dragons man I honestly I haven't seen it in a, a few years but yeah this was a favorite movie of mine when I was a kid and uh, you're right nobody knew it I felt like I was the only one I, I was lucky enough I had recorded it one of the times that it was on TV so I had a tape with it and we watched it a lot of times I watched it a million times but if it was if we hadn't gotten it yeah it didn't become 
it, it, was, it didn't become available for purchase on VHS until the late 90s. I specifically remember I was working at Kmart, and that was like 95, 96. So that's mid mid to late 90s was, was it. Um, and that came out, and there was a few things that came out on VHS for the first time that year, like the the, the droid series they put out as a like oh, a three yeah. episode strung it into a movie and the and also the ewoks too there was like a few things that like were coming out and i remember black cauldron was actually one of them black black <laughs> cauldron had been shelled for so long because it was such a freaking failure but i always loved it i always loved the the fantasy stuff i like the scary monsters uh the horned king and the black cauldron is incredible but in yeah. Flight of Dragons, like there's there's so much cool stuff in that movie, and it's so unique. Like you have the layer of the guy writing himself in, whether you like it or not. That's not done that much. So, and it's it's also a really different way to get the um the the you know we've we've seen this trope before where it's like the captain and the game master thing, where you know you get sucked into the game, you get sucked mm -hmm. into the world. So in Legend his case, Neil. Yeah, he's Legend of Neil. He's getting sucked into the game. In the game, but uh, <laughs> meh. But yeah, he's so in this case, he, Peter is getting sucked into his own book, and it's it's you know it's just a different storytelling device, just a different framework. But there's so many things in that movie that were story world building things. They weren't plot things. They were world building things because when he gets there, the world is trying to rectify that he's a human and it's trying to like format him in a way that he can exist in this non-human world this fantasy world and so it puts him into the body of this dragon gorbash and so for the most of the movie peter dickinson is not a human he's he's a dragon and who doesn't know how to be a dragon so there's <laughs> right. all these things that they work in where they're like um trying to like teach him there's this, like this older dragon this uh this nice old dragon i can't remember his name Slagor, uh smuggle or or, or smurgle smurgle m-r-g-o-l yeah, okay yeah. and he's he's like takes him under his wing and uh and teaches him how to fly that. how to breathe fire and and for the first time i i was getting explanations they they like try to science that. it up this They're is like, my favorite oh, well, thing in this movie. This is yeah. how we fly because the design of the dragons were they were these very bulbous things and they had very tiny wings. And so, you know, Smurl was like, oh, yeah, you think we can like lift ourselves with these teeny tiny wings? What are you insane? He's like, yeah, we just steer with those. We're basically hot air balloons. And this is how we do it. We fill ourselves with these things and it makes this, you know, chemical reaction in our gut and then it produces gas and then we float and then you know it's like all this stuff that was put in there yep. that didn't need to be and i just loved it so much and i love the council of the four wizards it's sort of like a you know sort of like the the colored wizards in lord of the rings only you know they're just these four you know the green the gold the blue and the red and and they are like you know clearly big deals i mean right. two of them have like one line each or something the blue and the gold they get like almost nothing to say and uh but it was it was it was great uh, diversity. The blue wizard's black. The the gold wizard, unless he was a yellow wizard, yellow or gold, whatever. He was. I think they know, call him Asian. Gold. Yeah, yeah. And, he was like and, the the Lord of the Skies. 
Yeah, and, and like they and, each had a dragon that was like their special dragon. So there's just yeah. so there's just a wealth of like designs and like things that leave you thinking that there's more to this world than what you're getting. Like even like I, I remember I always remembered the sand mercs. The sand yes. mercs are such, such a cool a good scene. scene. Yeah. 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 The Sandwich Seek was was amazing. So good. Yeah. And you're like, you're, you know, we've never heard of a Sandmerk. You know, they could have easily said a troll, a, you know, they're dragons. You, you, we right. could have had only stock things, but there are non-stock things, things that they came up with. And the, the Sandmerks they came up with, like, this is this is its own thing. And there were these, like, lizardy things with human noses, and they looked really weird and ugly. But for the most part, you didn't even see them. You just heard them. And the deal was that they would gather around when they when there were people around and they would start to chatter and they would do it so much and so loud that you would go insane. You would, yeah. you would, you would like not be able to thought to think and you would eventually just go nuts. And then they would, I don't know, come in and kill you, I guess. But you know, the thing that they kept saying is, but it can't be sand marks. They only appear at the seashore. We're in the, we're in the forest. Like they only appear at the seashore. What the hell? So it's, it's just like this idea that like, there's so much more, and and they're only telling us what we need for the moment you know they're not stopping yeah. to explain oh well say so the reason i say that is because there's this whole story i have about sandmarks at the seashore it's like no, no no it's just a throwaway line but i love that crap i love that stuff that yeah. hints at bigger stuff and then like you were saying jesse you know your brain fills in gaps and you kind of run with it you know it's sort of like passing of the baton and then it's like okay no i got it from here movie because i'm yep. now wondering about the sandmarks yeah yeah so no i i i haven't seen this in a long time for sure i admit but uh this was a favorite a big favorite and when i heard you were picking this i was just completely <laughs> titillated because it well first of all it freed it up so i didn't have to pick it because i, I honestly i honestly <laughs> right, seriously i one. i would have picked it for sure so oh, yeah. great 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 choice i, and, I love i love this one to this day, it's it's still one of my favorites, and it influenced my storytelling a lot when I was a little kid. Um, just a lot of the ideas of being more... A lot of my favorite movies had that weird theme of being more tolerant and accepting of evil stuff, like uh, Dark Crystal and um, Flight of Dragons, where, you know... Not that you don't fight the evil in the world, but that you recognize that evil is a part of the world and um, that, you know, it has to be dealt with not so much on those terms of crusading against it, but, you know, recognizing the aspects of it and charting your course, recognizing those facts. Um, and it's just... You know, to this day, right. it will always be one of my one of my cornerstone movies. And yeah, like <laughs> it's like huge. Them, it, yeah. It's one of those movies that nobody ever, almost yeah. nobody heard of, and nobody yeah. talked about. Yeah, right. and and that's you know I think that that's kind of one of my favorite things is when you, on the show we get to talk about that stuff that just feels like to us like you know hidden gems like this stuff just doesn't really get you know enough recognition. So I'm really glad that Flight of Dragons came up and wa watching it again because I hadn't seen it since Steve showed it to me forever ago. Um, it was it was so cool, really phenomenal. Still you know holds up. There's there's a couple of you know things that are, you know a couple of scenes with the 
the the knight in particular and the and his his feelings about the princess a little weird um but yeah. other than that you know <laughs> the little little yikers there um but other than that i mean there's so much to like um so i'm really glad we got to talk about it um, once she comes and, of age of course <laughs> oh yeah right yeah once i'm 50 and she's <laughs> And she's 18. Then we can talk. Oh, and, um, you know, coming of age is probably not 18. <laughs> right. I know. It's like, oh, old enough to have a child. And once she's yeah. once she's uh, the ripe old age of 15, you know. That'll yeah, be fine, really. Sure. Oh. Jesus Christ. But anyway, we won't we won't we won't dwell on that. Um, but yeah, that's 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 awesome. Uh, I I do want to move things along. We're at about an hour here, and uh, and we are still in the first half. So uh, let's have Parasite Steve get to share, and then we'll hear from Joe. Okay, so my uh, my picks another Rankin Bass movie. In fact, this studio nice. produced uh, like uh, all cartoon movies that are so near and dear to my heart. They're in my DNA. They're the ones that I watched over and over. Uh, I've heard them called ugly, and I totally get that. I totally understand that. I won't yeah. fight anybody on that. Uh, but to me, they are like my favorite freaking animation style ever. I love the designs so much. They could do pretty, but uh they did do a lot of ugly it's true and there's something about it that i just adore so yeah. i am gonna go to the last unicorn which uh is a 1982 yeah. animated fantasy film um with an incredible star-studded cast again i mean just ridiculous it stars alan arkin jeff bridges mia farrow as as the unicorn and lady amalthea um just lots of like small quick roles christopher lee is the main villain um he's king lear spelled no prince lear that's right prince Lear. he's a he haggard king haggard um really really cool and of course it had paul freeze because it's a rank and bass movie and you know he he gets to be an absolutely everything <laughs> and I, i'll just do my quick paul freeze uh impression right here it's, it's i just basically can do him as a pokemon paul freeze <laughs> that's my paul freeze um reneo bergenois is in one one part um uh, you literally like this movie was a movie that i watched a million times we recorded off tv the same deal and not only did i not know anybody who liked this movie i was afraid to even bring it up because the 80s were like not a time to be like, yeah. yeah, I like a thing about unicorns and I'm a boy. Like, you're just going to get your ass beat. So I I didn't really like even admitting that I love this. This was this was like a secret thing that I wasn't supposed to like, like in my mind. Kind of yeah. Even though it is by all measures, like not like specifically a gender specific story for girls right. but Certainly, people I mean, hear last unicorn and this shitty little you know you're like what like, you like unicorns like you know it's just so silly there's so much in there that i love so much but um you know rather than to to go through the whole plot of the movie because i know we're kind of running long in the tooth already but like i'll just say um like the designs in this are are absolutely insane there's there's many scenes that stuck with me uh so many good monsters so many good creatures in this i mean you know there's the one of the scenes i love is you know they come across you know so basically real quick it's about it's a story about a unicorn who realizes that there are no more unicorns in her forest and and there's no more 
like all the creatures are actually kind of going away and the forest is just emptying out and it might be because of humans who knows it's been so many centuries since she's seen another unicorn and uh she's just not sure where the magic is going in the world so it's kind of like that same idea of the magic going away because of humans and um and so anyway the butterfly just you know comes by and she asks him she's like oh you've been places because she's she's only been in this forest for so long and he says uh there are there are no more unicorns you're the only one i've seen in a really long time and he tells her this that sounds like a legend but it's just the, because the book the butterfly talks in poetry and songs uh and uh voiced by robert klein and uh so she goes off on this quest she leaves the forest and um is trying to find the other unicorn. So that's basically the 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 plot. But um, you know, you know, meets characters along the way. But there's a scene where she she meets the the, the other main character, Schmendrick the Wizard, played by Alan Arkin, and uh, it's this traveling uh, menagerie, this um, carnival of these uh, this run by an old witch named Mommy Fortuna, and she's got all mm-hmm. these 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 creatures that are monsters. You know, she's like, oh yeah, we have a, a satyr. And, uh, you know, a Midgard ser- serpent and um, uh, a harpy and all these things and a manticore and a dragon and like all these things that look scary to everybody else. But when the unicorn looks at them, she she sees through the illusion because Mommy Fortuna as a witch, she's enchanted them to make the people see monsters. But in real, li- in real life, they're just these pathetic, poor uh broken creatures like the the manticore is just an old lion with no teeth and they're all just not what they seem except for the harpy the harpy is the only genuine one and the unicorn recognizes her as being such and recognizes that she's an immortal uh creature just like just like she is and the harpy the design of a harpy like you think like harpy oh it's half bird half lady uh it's like, oh my god, the 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 way that they came up with, and uh, yes, ugly, definitely ugly to the max. But yeah. the, the design of this thing is so insane. It's so freaking unique. I mean, it's got like a vulture kind of face, kind of a dodo vulture with like pig ears and like human breasts that hang way down. And I mean, it is just unbelievably crazy. So so gnarly. So anyway. I mean, there's there's just a lot of good stuff, but I have to mention my favorite part: the red bull, the the <laughs> big monster at the end is you know it could have so easily been a dragon or something, you know what I mean? And it's this flaming like fire elemental creature that is just called the red bull. They never explain what the hell it is. I mean, fire elemental is like the best I got. Like, and that's right. just from assuming because you're like, what is it? It's just a a red it's just a giant red bull, but it's on fire at all times, like ghost rider or something like, and he's, he's ethereal. He can like, he's like a ghost. He can go through things. And, and it's, it's just an incredible character design, incredible monster. Absolutely love it to pieces. When I was a kid, this was one of the first times that I realized I like the evil monsters the most, like they're my favorite part. That's not to say I didn't love the unicorn too. I do. And always did. It was like, whatever, I don't care. She's great. But anyway, really, really amazing movie. Super important. I, I'm I'm very happy that I was able to actually meet the the author of the original book that this was based on, Peter S. Beagle. Um, Super cool. uh, towards the end, uh, he's 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 still alive, but he's succumbed to uh, mental problems. Um, and um, towards the end of 
this period of time he was he was actually touring with the movie and doing personal appearances and and i actually got to see uh a showing of the last unicorn in the theater peter s beagle was there he signed books um it was really really cool so i i actually had him sign the uh the comic book hardcover version of of the last unicorn um and uh yeah i mean it was really cool and what i will end with is the question that i asked him um which was you know i've always wondered you know why where did the red bull come from it's such a unique weird thing to have as the final monster like why not a dragon i'm not complaining i'm just like man that right. is so where'd, interesting where'd you get that me. idea yeah where did you get that and and the answer is he said uh there was this painting that his like brother-in-law had that was up on the wall and it was like an old renaissance looking style um and it it had a unicorn and a red bull it just weird and so yeah so that now yeah i i don't i don't know if there are pictures of of the painting or if it's just something that exists in his brain uh at this point but um he said he just was doing it as a tribute to that painting that his brother-in-law had on the wall you know he's like oh i'll use the red bull for for my unicorns that'll be the that'll be the thing he made it into like this flaming monster this gigantic thing but anyway uh pretty awesome definitely one of my favorite movies of all time for sure yeah it, it, it's it is a it is a huge one um definitely influential for a lot of people i mean i've i've seen uh honestly two covers of the last unicorn song this year alone um, <laughs> and it's pretty impressive because there was like none of that for so long but people yeah. definitely love this movie and it it really is just an incredibly like magical tale like there's so few things that i feel like i can think of that are just like pure you know like magic and it's it's dark still dark fan exactly it's it's not it's not that it's like so bright and happy it's just got such like a magical mysterious quality to it Mm -hmm. um and it really is beautiful and ugly at the same time right i totally do get that the the art style would accentuate like noses and saggy eyes and like not Mm -hmm. try to make um the men at least look pretty um but you know they definitely kind of had this duality you know this like really mm. kind of just ugly realistic stuff and and really you know beautiful ca- other yeah. characters yeah. Um, but it probably awesome. was the first one or two things like maybe this in the hobbit were probably the first things that introduced the idea of dark fantasy to me yeah like this is not happy bright <laughs> at all like yeah. every bit of it is just spooky and dreary and, and rea- like, it's trying to be like realistic gloomy like magic and- but like yeah gritty yeah, and wonder. they really truly make her the the beautiful thing. She's she's glowing in white and a unicorn and pretty and and then when she, later she turns into a human, and she's this beautiful ethereal like you know, gorgeous woman. But everything else is just not. They're all drab. They're all browns. They're all like just earthy tones and just even when it's a color like blue, it's going to be like a really grayish blue. Everything's like really drab. Yeah. And she is just this light in the darkness, and it really just—oh my god—it just works so well. It does, Jesse. Were you going to say something too? Yeah. The uh, when I was a kid, um, I get where you're coming from. Like I recognize the whole 
um, stereotypes that you get from when you go to school and that sort of thing. And if you said you like the last unicorn, a lot of people would have been like, oh, you like fairy girly things. And I would have been like, oh, you like things dark. <laughs> it was just, yeah. it was one of those movies that I never got to watch like all the way through. But every time I did see the movie, that was the feeling that I got, that this was not safe. Like, there right. was nothing about... Uh, the, and as a child, you know, five, six years old, when you're watching this movie for the, first, for the first time, you're watching it going, none of this feels safe. <laughs> Everything about this feels like it's very tenuous. And that is... It is an amazing thing to actually be able to capture. And they did that really, really well. Like, everything about this is, you are in danger. This You are no longer in a, in a safe place. You have left your forest, and this is the real world now. You, you are not in a good place here. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it, it is, it's like, you would, you would call it like a, 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 a girly fairy movie, whatever, if you knew nothing about it. You know, it's like, that, that would indicate that you have engaged with this not at all not that that's a fair thing to say about really pretty much anything but you would also be dead wrong because of how this movie goes and it's like no yes it does star a unicorn have you seen the rest of the world kind of sucks um but that's what makes it so engaging and interesting and obviously you know i do have a penchant over the years for just stories that have a dark side and there's you know more that you can kind of sink your teeth into and as you get older you appreciate those things too i mean the dark crystal is one where i didn't really like it as a kid actually but i i do love it now as an adult and i think that right. was a movie that kind of unsettled me and scared me enough that i was like uh i i can watch the thing it's just i'm not like a fan of it but now i love it so it's it's kind of interesting how that had cultivated too with certain stuff totally um, but yeah also um just like gotta also say that the last unicorns like design the drawing the profile of it with rankin bass is so singular it mm. looks so unlike any other like drawn animal ever it's like oh that's the last unicorn unicorn right but, and it's 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 really cool um they make a they make a distinction actually i'm glad you you brought that up they make a distinction in the movie and about how everybody says a unicorn looks like a horse and the unicorn's like so offended by that she's like how could you possibly think that i look like a mare like how could you and you look at horses the way they're drawn in the movie and they look like horses and this is supposed to be i think uh peter s beagle said she's supposed to look more like a deer She's actually like completely not like a horse. She has a right. very long neck, tiny head, long legs, really Super different. skinny legs. Yeah, totally like different spindly. posture. And yeah, very spindly. spindly. The tail is totally different. It tails more like a lion tail. It's like a long tail with a tusk, tuft at the end. Really, it's funny. It's because you you see it and you're like, yeah, it's, a, it's like a horse. But there are, there are so many differences yeah. that it's like a crocodile is more like an alligator than this is like a horse by a lot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it is. It's just kind of it's like oh, but it rears up and it and it trots and it does yeah, I mean, things and it's like it's, I mean yeah. yeah, but like also look at it. Um, but yeah, right. that was always something that resonated with me too. Is it's just it's got this immediate identifiability mm -hmm. with, with just like looking at it. Yep. Um, awesome. No, that's 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 excellent. Uh, those are three really strong ones. Awesome. So uh, we have um, a voicemail from Joe. 
um, Mr. Nintendo. We are going to go to that and we'll we'll hear that. And then um, we're going to get into the Octoponder stuff. So let's just pause and, and hear from Nintendo. So my first pick is Quest for Camelot, which stars Jesslyn Gilsig, Carrie Elwes, Gary Oldman, Eric Idle, Don Rickles, Jane Seymour, Pierce Brosnan, Bron Sun, Pinchots, Jaleel White, which we all know from Family Matters, he played uh, Steve Urkel, um, Gabriel Byrne, and Sir John Gil- Gilgid. I don't know if I'm saying <laughs> that name correctly or not. I apologize. You guys know me. I, I suck at pronouncing things, especially names. The movie came out on May 15th, 1998, and the running time is around 86 minutes. Um, I just have to say, if you're not into musicals at all, uh, before one, there's a lot of singing in this one. Um, I myself am not a huge fan of musicals, which is why I am not big on Disney movies. Um, I, I, I just hate I hate it when characters just randomly break out into song and everyone just knows the fucking lyrics. It just drives me up the fucking wall. I can't stand it. Anyways, about the movie. So the movie itself, despite despite having no songs in it or whatever, it's not that bad of a movie. Um, you would think the movie is about King Arthur, and it's really not at all. He's barely in the movie. They do touch upon how he became King Arthur and how he got Excalibur and how he built Camelot and all that stuff. Um, but it was mostly about Kaylee. So Kaylee wanted to be a knight her whole life. Her father was one of the knights of the round table. And he ends up uh, getting killed after trying to prevent an assassination attempt um, by Ruber, uh, who wanted control of Camelot. He wanted Excalibur for himself. And he was just just a selfish prick. The guy was a fucking asshole and deserved anything bad happening to him he, he just fucking deserves like the worst of everything he just sucks and um and he's just not even a, a good villain i mean he looks okay i mean you can like clearly tell that this guy was gonna be a villain like the moment you saw him like he just stood out like a sore thumb and um yeah he's just not a very good character so he he wanted control of camelot for himself because he's, he's a greedy fuck um so kaylee's father tries to stop him and gets killed in the process and eventually Arthur uses uh, Excalibur and drives Rupert away. Um, so Rupert's gone for you know, forever and you know that this Kaylee's father's you know he's dead and they have a really sad uh, funeral for him and everything and they show uh, Kaylee like growing up over time, and no, she's singing the entire fucking time. Of course, like she like she's singing. This, like, it took her ten years to sing this song, um, <laughs> and uh, so she she still wants to be a knight. Like she's like she, now she's really freaking desperate. No, not desperate. She's like more determined. I should say like more. She's more determined to be a, a knight, and she wants to serve King Arthur and be the knight one of the knights of the Round Table. So 
on her family farm while she's doing farm farm work, she incorporates some uh, like exercise, like, like she's like training herself to become a knight. So she's doing like all these jousting things, all like sword fights and all this stuff with with random uh, farm animals, which is which doesn't sound right coming out of my mouth, but uh, yeah. Um, anyway, so this is going on, and you know it takes you know, ten years for this point to happen, and um, Rupert comes back with an army and he kidnaps Kaylee's mother and also Kaylee, but she ends up uh, being able to escape. And um, while this is going on, uh, while she's trying to escape, uh, Rupert uh, reveals that he has this potion which can turn anyone into a weapon, basically. So, like, his first victim was the, one of the farm chickens. And so he, took, he takes the chicken, throws his chicken into this pit of whatever uh, magical goop or whatever it is uh, that can transform him anything to anything, whatever. And uh, so he, th- he throws in the, the chicken into this, this pool of, of uh, ooze. We'll call it ooze, okay? So we'll call it ooze. And so he throws the chicken into the ooze, and then he throws in uh, an axe. And then so what happens is the chicken and the axe, they fuse together and they, they become one. So it's like basically you're like a living weapon. So it was kind of funny because the chicken just instead of having a beak, the chicken has an axe as a beak, which is kind of funny. So it's kind of like the like one of the, the, the comedic reliefs of the whole, whole movie. But there's other characters where well, – not characters, but like other uh, uh, guys in the army. They'll jump in the pit with their weapons and they, they come out and like one, one guy will have like two maces in his arms and another one will have like – like claws or something or whatever. Um, they look pretty neat, to be honest. Um, and Rupert, you know, his whole thing is he wants to do this to himself, but with Excalibur. So he wants Excalibur so bad because he thinks fusing Excalibur with himself will make him all powerful. So Kaylee manages to escape, and she goes into this forest to hopefully not be seen by by Rupert and his his army. And she comes across Garrett, who is a blind hermit, and he just he just wants to live his life peacefully. He he wants nothing to do with anyone. So Kaylee asks Garrett to help her escape the the forest and get to Camelot, and he really didn't want anything to do with her. He was he was just pretty much all set, but he did reluctantly agree to at least get her out of the forest because he just didn't want to go to Camelot. He just feels like he didn't belong there. And so they, they go about their, their little journey and, you know, avoiding danger as, as much as possible. And they come across a two-headed dragon. And uh, the, the dragon, uh, one, one, one of the heads is called, his name is Devin. And he is the, um, the, the skinny head one, like more intelligent and very polite. And the other one's name is Cornwall, who is the, the lowbrow, uh, wisecracking character. And throughout the whole movie, they just can't seem to agree on anything. So that prevents them from doing what dragons do. Like something as simple as flying or breathing fire. Stuff like that. So I, I mean, I don't want to like give away too much of the movie. Um, it, it's, it's, I enjoyed it for what it was. I, I do think you guys should see it if you haven't yet. Um, even if you're not really big into musicals. But they are not nearly as bad as Disney, uh, Disney music. I just, oh, I, I just, I just want to like puke in my mouth every time someone starts singing. 
So yeah, that was just a little bit of Quest for Camelot. Alright, awesome, Nintendo. Thank you for that voicemail, and we hope you are feeling better. But yeah. Quest for Camelot, that is actually a movie that I almost picked. I I really liked Quest for Camelot. It was like a huge box office flop, but I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I had a lot of fun with that movie. I liked it at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know Stephanie and I watched it maybe a year ago or so and still had a great time with it. Now, what is not a great time is the Game Boy Color game. Holy shit. That, ooh. I had that game, and I remember thinking it was really cool because it was kind of like Zelda. Um, So as a kid, I was like, whoa, this is kind of like Zelda. But now, as an adult, I went and I played it because I have I have an analog pocket that like just allows me to play all my old Game Boy games, but with like a really nice, nice screen. Um, and playing Quest for Kama, I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, <laughs> this is so painfully trying to be Zelda, but failing in all the ways that make Zelda great. It's like imagine a, a small Zelda world map where all you're supposed to do is go to one person and then go to like seven different other things and then go back to that person and then it opens up the next spot and then you do the same it's like talk to person person's missing seven crystal apples go find seven crystal apples it's like every single sequence and there's there's one song in the entire game and it's not that bad but after the whole game you never want to hear it again and uh and the graphic for the main character is so weird. It's like they weren't actually sure how to draw eyes on a character when they're looking down. Like, like if you're trying to move your character down from a top-down view. It's like they weren't sure how to draw her eyes, so they just look weird unless you're like moving left or right so you're it's like constantly like every time she looks down it's like uh, it's a, it's a man it's a it's a weird what is oh, that yeah and then and then I'm you look to the left it. and it's like oh there's her little eyes that looks normal but <laughs> it's a, it is not a good game and uh and you know that was definitely she uh, looks pissed when she's walking yeah she, down. she's she yeah pissed. yeah she looks like she looks fucking mad and it's just weird i'm like there's a way that you could have drawn her eyes that didn't look like shit oh that's um, funny but anyway yeah quest for camelot good pick good pick uh nice. glad to yeah. have some representation for it that that um, movie had a, a really cool uh the monster I loved in that was the Griffin. Yeah, oh the Griffin was wicked. The bad sick guy had a movie, yeah. yeah, the bad guy had a Griffin and he was really cool. Unfortunately he talked like a parrot and he was he was like I think they were trying to make him less scary, but he still looked really yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. The bad guy had the weirdest proportions of any animated character ever. I remember him having like a really bulbous forehead. Yeah, he has like a big old like like not as bad as the centaur from Hercules, but like a big forehead, <laughs> right. and I feel like he's just built like a round <laughs> pyramid. It's like he's just like so like top heavy. I feel like, but he's also like really round. Like he's built like a fucking Dorito. I don't know. Oh, so I'm looking at him now. He doesn't have a big forehead. He has a huge brow. His uh, his it's... eyebrow bones are just like ridiculous. What's his name? Fucking oh, Sir Ruber, Sir Ruber. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's just weird looking, man. I don't know. Yeah, it's an, uh, yeah he's a he's a he's a weird looking dude. I don't yeah. know. Oh my god! But oh shit. Okay. Well, I just talked about how weird he looks, but you know who could play him in a movie? Devin Townsend. 
He literally looks like Devin Townsend as an animated knight. That's freaking crazy. Oh. Singer of of Strapping Young Lad in Devin Townsend Project, and uh, all around awesome, awesome guy. Uh, but uh, anyway, anyway, m- moving right along from that. So we are at the halfway point, ladies and germs. Um, we are going to take a short break, but we have something for you to octoponder. So listen up. The octoponder. This question is: Who was your favorite comedic character in a non Disney cartoon film? question mark end quote uh so we are going to let you think about that we will give our answers when we return and then read all of the wonderful comments we received on our facebook page when we return so stay tuned hey kids it's time to check out the dorkening podcast network with over 30 podcasts that encompass everything from horror to video games to comic books and so much more you're bound to find the shows for your taste whether it be Nerds of Unusual Origin, That Strange Show, Retro Red Octopus, Splash Pages, Throwdown Thursday, The Horror Squad, Still Talking With, My God, man, I can't read all of these. So just feel free to play and experiment with the Dorkening Podcast Network. There are over 30 shows chock full of nerdy goodness to sink your ears into. And they're all available on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are broadcast. Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast. It's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Do you like gaming? You know, this game would be better if it was a battle royale. Do you like technology? I bet this tech would work better if it was a battle royale. Do you like movies, TV shows? And everything else that me and Nate can't agree on. The Last Jedi was easily the best Star Wars film I have ever seen. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Everybody in this room is stupid now because of you. Talking Gaming and Tech is a bi-weekly podcast where we cover the latest and greatest in gaming and tech. Now part of the Dorkening Podcast Network. Talking Gaming and Tech is a podcast produced by Tech Prime Media. You can find us on YouTube and all their social media platforms. You can find Talking Gaming and Tech on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts from. This podcast is filmed live. If you want to check us out while we're filming live, remember to follow links on social media and your comment might be read on air. Uh, hi everyone, this is Frank Toniff, TV's Frank from Mystery Science Theater and also the Mads are back and you are listening to Retro Redoctopus. Um, wow, that sounds dirty, but, uh, okay. The worst we can find. Hey, are you ready to do some bacon? It's about that time where we ask you, the audience, to octo-ponder this. All right, welcome back aboard, everyone. So before we took that break, we asked you this octoponder question. Who was your favorite comedic character in a non-Disney cartoon film? Uh, so I will go first. Um, I will say Batty from Fern Gully. Uh, it's not like it's the most original thought, but Batty Coda is so freaking funny in that movie. And Robin Williams is amazing. 
and he's animated so yeah. well and it's just like look there i like i don't want to be that guy i i know that fern gully has a really important message but when i think of fern gully all i'm thinking about is batty like yeah. there, i know that i like i i should I should also not destroy the planet. Like, there's so much to learn, but Fern Gully is like it's Batty. There's just Batty so much to is, learn. I, I know. <laughs> Batty's the takeaway. Uh, so he he's definitely got my vote. Uh, what yeah. about you, Jesse? Um, I think I'm gonna have to go with. Um, I mean, Robin Williams did a lot, but uh, I think like. Uh, Don DeLuise just had so many. I think I'm going to go with Tiger from American Tale 2. Nice. Because I really enjoyed... I mean, American Tale was great. Five Goes West was just like, okay, you guys get to go with this and just have fun with it here. Right, right. <laughs> Such a different concept for a sequel. Yeah, total, oh, my God. Yeah. And, and, you know, you guys can just run with it and do whatever. Right. <laughs> and, you know, the, it, him playing the, you know, Tiger, the yellow cat, who um, <laughs> goes off into the desert and, you know, gets to have such a different experience where he's being worshipped as a god. <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> no, I'm okay <laughs> with this now. I'm good with this. Uh <laughs> I have people bringing me fruit. Life is great. We're all good here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, nice. he, he I was. Have, he was I haven't very seen amazing. that in years. <laughs> I haven't seen that in years. Oh, yeah, so good. It's, it's funny. Like they made so many of those uh, American Tale movies after the fact. Stephanie and I fell down a rabbit hole watching them. Oh, and no, uh, and <laughs> I know, I know. And you know what's the the best thing is like, and it's not really the best thing, but right the the movie that comes immediately after Five Us Goes West basically is like, wow, remember that crazy dream we had where we were cowboys? Anyway, <laughs> and it just like it just like totally fucking ignores all of it, and it's just Aww, like that's. Sucks. All right. It's it's like, retconned out of existence in the in like the subsequent yeah, episodes. They're just like, <laughs> like no, it doesn't exist. So like, funny. You don't like, retcon the better sequel. You don't. I know that movie, movie was dope. Like what? Why did you scrub that out of the record? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, anyway, all right. Uh, Parasite Steve, what about you? Uh, I'm going to go with another Dom DeLuise classic character, and uh, this is uh, definitely. Uh, one of my favorite animated characters of all times. I know it was mentioned in by the Retroids as well, but I have to go with Jeremy the Crow from Secret of Nim, uh, voiced by Dom DeLuise. Oh my god, I love him in this movie. That character is so legitimately hilarious. There are so many like, there's so many great like physical comedy scenes that they do, which is not something you just see done well in cartoons. Usually, it's simple slapstick, but they would have these like, like, like elaborate sets of him getting tangled up in string and and like like all these things that were so freaking funny and his his dialogue with Miss, Mrs. Brisby was so great uh and i mean i just i love the way he looks he's like the coolest look he's just a crow he's just a crow but he looks so great right um in fact in uh, i was saying uh the griffin in quest for camelot uh i see a lot of jeremy in that griffin um very similar <laughs> okay. beak very similar like really like big poofy feathers they make them look bigger than a crow even would i mean ravens can look pretty 
substantial, but anyway, I love, I love, 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 love that movie and love that character. And, uh, I gotta go. I gotta go with Jeremy. Also, nice. how many how many Jeremys are there as characters? I mean, it's just really not a. It's like, you know, he's the Jeremy. Just like Todd. There's only one Todd. He's a fox. Like, there's no other Todds. Like, it's just uh, there's right. certain names that like nobody uses. I know um, that's so true. But anyway, so yeah, Jeremy the Jeremy the Crow, all the way. Yeah. Nice, awesome. All right, and uh, and so then uh, we are going to go to the voicemail from Nintendo for his pick. So let's listen in. So my octoponder answer. Hmm. I guess I'll just have to go with uh, the movie I just mentioned, uh, which was Quest for Camelot, and that character is Devin and Cornwall, the two-headed dragon. I just really enjoyed their little banter back and forth throughout the whole movie. So I thought I thought that was pretty cute, actually. So, yeah, that's that's my answer. All right, awesome. Devin and Cornwall, love it. Some more quest for Camelot. Yeah. Love. Uh, so now we're going to go to the Retroids because we've said our shit. So now it's time for your shit. So let's listen. Um, so Gwen Trull says the clown from We're Back has been brought up a number of times in circles lately. The clown stubs the clown voiced by Martin Short. Uh, I didn't remember this character. Frankly, I barely remember this movie. I don't know why. I definitely watched it. I just like don't remember a lot about it. But that is a yeah. awesome out of nowhere pick. Yeah. Um, uh, Bonnie Spaulding says Shrek Donkey and Puss in Boots. Not technically cartoons, but I mean, we're just kind of mincing words at this point. So, you know, it's fine. Yeah. I, I'm not mad. It's animated. I'm not mad. Yeah, it's animated. <laughs> we're animated. You're animated. <laughs> uh, uh, so Jeremy Jackson uh, posted a GIF of the of the the whole crew uh, from Road to El Dorado. Um, so that is Miguel and Tulio and their horse. Uh, I don't remember their horse's name. I don't know, no idea. Uh, but that that actually is a truly very funny. That movie. is a great movie. I, yeah, I haven't seen that movie in, in a hot minute. Uh, but that was a good one. Also, uh, a movie that I randomly have the Game Boy Color game for. Am I sensing a future <laughs> episode theme here? Should he uh, <laughs> should he license games um, on the Game Boy? On the, on the Game Boy. Uh, Anthony Thurber says Daffy Duck. I don't know specifically from what movie, but Daffy Duck. Okay. Um, uh, Colleen says to the enjoyment of fucking everybody right here, she says, Gorbash the Dragon from Flight of Dragons. Uh, yes! <laughs> Colleen! You're always Colleen on never, it! Never <clears throat> lets us down. Literally always, always on, fucking right there. Like, yeah. every time, Colleen, you just, you yeah. know it. I couldn't yeah. believe it. I was like, what? Never Jeez, lets us down. Wow. Um, absolutely amazing and then she also yep. gives a shout out to jeremy from secret of nim because her mm, taste nice. can't stop being good um we have santino <laughs> man <laughs> can't stop won't stop won't stop the beat santino mancibo says my guy batty damn right santino that is freaking right batty rules uh randy carter says the penguins in madagascar maybe so <laughs> We'll take that I think as that's a good. I honestly think that's a really good pick. Absolutely. They were, I, I became a little oversaturated with the Penguins because they got their own show and they were kind of everywhere. Did. But in that first movie, I'm like, legitimately, I loved gag. the Penguins. They were yeah. so funny. I mean, you don't get that kind of following without a really solid performance. Right, right. There's a reason yeah. it went the way it did. 
Yeah, exactly. So they funny. made such so an impression. Uh, Jason <laughs> Gervais says, this is this is funny. He says, Hot Rod from Transformers the movie because he's a fucking joke. Hashtag not my prime. <laughs> Real shitting on Hot Rod there, man. Come on, man. He's, not, he's doing his best. God damn it. Uh, uh, PJ Ray Hall says, I can't believe no one said Roger Rabbit. So I'm going to take that as him saying Roger Rabbit. Yeah, because he, he did. He did technically right. say it. Yeah. Right. Uh, Anna Ishaku says, Baby Boss. I haven't seen that movie. I heard it was very funny, though. Um, I um, think she means Boss Baby, but that must that must be what she means. That is also what I was thinking. Boss Baby. Um, Phil Conti says, Tiger in an American Tale. And Jeremy from Secret of Nim. I mean, Phil, Phil Conti. Phil, Phil, good choices, also Phil. Also never lets us down. Also, <laughs> Santino never lets us down. No, he doesn't. Uh, he says, Dom DeLuise was comedy gold for me. Hey, absolutely, absolutely. man. Uh Sam, Sam DePoint says Bartok. Uh, because nice. yes, Bartok is amazing. And so does Ashes. Ashes also says Bartok from Anastasia. Nice. I give her a ha and a ha and a hi-ya. I geek her, sir. <laughs> so good. And Bartok the Magnificent is a really good movie. Bartok too. the Magnificent, like I out of wanted, nowhere, I wanted to pick or the not sequel. Spin-off. So so that that's like the <laughs> like you were just saying, Jesse, about Five Goes West is your preferred, like, oh man, like uh, Bartok the Magnificent is a billion times better than Anastasia. <laughs> oh my god, that movie is fantastic. Stephanie it's would so probably good. fight you because Stephanie loves Anastasia so much and she hasn't seen Bartok, but it's like, I oh, mean, it is they, so are, they are two completely different flavors. Oh. Yeah, I mean, Anastasia is really going for something different. Bartok is just like a tr- like super fun, just romp, like yeah. comedy. So, so they don't really match up no, anyway. They don't. Yeah. But oh my god. Um, oh yeah, yeah, there. That that's that's the movie. There. There. I know he's I, from like Wisconsin. Like I know. I like. like so, I can't, I haven't seen it in so long. But so real quick about Anastasia. I never actually watched the movie. You know, back when it came out or any of the subsequent times. But one day I'm walking around my house, and I look at my TV. And it's playing. Now we don't have any. We don't have any TV services. It's all streaming stuff, YouTube things like that. Um, so I'm like, oh, well, my daughter found Anastasia and is playing it. That's cool. And I actually watched the movie that day. And later on, I get a phone call from my wife going, "Why is there a charge to my account?" I looked over. Oh. My five-year-old <laughs> daughter had purchased the movie off of Amazon Prime. It was speaking to me. <laughs> I was like, okay, now we need to add parental locks to the TV. Okay. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> but, silver lining, I got to see Anastasia. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Honey, you're not going to believe it, though. <laughs> I got <laughs> to see the movie. <laughs> believe it or not, uh, it was a good time. Oh, man. Um, next, we have uh, Stephanie Krikorian, my wife. Uh, hello. She says, Miss Kitty in Five Goes West. And an honorable oh. mention to her boo, Tiger. And uh, yeah, like, like I said, Stephanie and I went through all the Five movies. And uh, we, we definitely had the most fun with Five Goes West. That movie was, was super fun. Some of the nice. sequels later on were, were actually like a cool story they they did a surprisingly good job on some of those later ones but i never would have checked them out um who knew uh adam laterno says cartman uh a la eric uh mm. in south park bigger longer and uncut 
Brandon Powers says the Penguins from Madagascar killed me. Uh, Steve Greg. Steve Grieg II says Donkey from Shrek. Scott Clevenger says Max the Hench Meanie in Yellow Submarine. Oh, Scott Clevenger. Love it. Love that deep, <laughs> deep pop culture lore. Um, yes. Kristen Wickensheimer says Pepe Le Pew and Penelope Cat. And Templeton, the rat from Charlotte's Web. Um, oh, 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 amazing pick. What an amazing yeah. pick. I know. I never, oh. I know why, what's with me? I never think of Charlotte's Web. I used to see it all Templeton. the time. Templeton. Templeton the Rat from <laughs> Charlotte's Web. Uh, uh, Rachel Leiter has a picture of Tiger. Everyone loves Tiger. Um, <laughs> Sam Dunaway Bryant says Miguel and Tulio um, from Rotel Dorado. Rotel Dorado. Yep. Dan Hashmaltoni says Lucy uh, with an exclamation point and a picture of a devil holding a wine bottle. Dan, you might be in the wrong group. I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> But I'm just saying I don't understand. But I appreciate the comment. I, I appreciate the comment. Um, Is there, do you I know? I believe that. Uh, well, if they're referring to oh, a devil in a wine bottle, just holding it, like a green wine bottle, like uh, looking sheepishly so to the side. I, I'm gonna guess that's from Disenchantment. It's uh, um, Matt Groening's uh, thing on Netflix, where it was. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like his fantasy, Simpsons yeah, fantasy. I mean, we, me and my wife would watch that all the time. My kids have it. Um, <clears throat> honestly, oh. a really good series, uh, and yeah. it's uh, hilarious uh, on a lot of in a lot of moments and on a lot of levels. It's and it's also you know good. I mean, everything. Um, the thing that Matt. Mac Rollins do, does is do, I mean, he makes good stuff. I mean, even if, if you don't like, if you're not particularly it. into like one thing or the other, but like, because yeah, Futurama he, just came back today too. Yeah, no, I, I, I saw that. I was like, Futurama's getting another season. Like, yeah. Uh, how do you guys keep getting those actors back together? <laughs> I know, right? It's like they're just clear in their schedule to do this stuff. But uh, um, Lucy, Lucy's a demon, and you're a hundred percent right. I just looked it up, and that—that's exactly who it is. So I'm glad that you are here because now, <laughs> Dan, you are in the right group. I'm an nice. asshole, and uh, <laughs> and Jesse, Jesse cleared the air for us. So awesome, everything is good. <laughs> but Lucy's a good character in the show, oh, like uh, uh, an amazing you know. character. He, uh, one of my favorite moments is uh, they—they're doing a heist to get all of the gold that was taxed from the elves back from. Uh, back from the kingdoms to give back to the elves and um like it turns out to be a bunch of trolls who are disguised as elves who go in and are going to keep all the money and not give it back to the elves so they're just going to steal everything and lucy's just sitting there at the end and he's just waving them off and everybody's like no they, they were trolls they were they weren't they're keeping the money, Lucy. Tell me you didn't let them get away. Yeah, they uh, just helped them pack everything off. Uh, and, he's, and they're just like, no, we have to stop them. Yeah, it'll be right about now that they realized I swapped out their gold coins for chocolate. Because <laughs> Lucy was going to steal everything for himself. Right. Lu Lucy the whole time was like, look, I'm playing an angle. So I just stole the money from the bad guys by accident. <laughs> And he's, he is a great character. It's a wonderful, awesome. wonderful series. 
I forgot about disenchantment. I'll have to uh, I'll have to give that a, a watch. Um, okay, we only have a few more here. Um, Carrie Sanders says the secret of Nim, Jeremy the Crow, and uh, Chris Orkeys says Donkey from Shrek. Eddie Murphy nailed it. Absolutely, I think a lot of people would agree with you on that. Uh, so that's it. That's all the retroids. Holy crap! What a great showing. A lot yeah. of people responded, Tons. and that is. Excellent. Uh, that at everyone tag really does some numbers uh, when we yeah, go I mean, into your notifications. Sometimes it does. Today it worked out. The and juice I, is flowing. I, I'm glad people weighed in. You know, it's always more fun when we get to hear from you guys. So we love reading them live. Thank you so much for participating and making this show as fun as it can be for any of you out there who still want to participate. You can reach out to us. You can always, you know, talk to us on Facebook or Twitter at Redoctopus, or you can email us at Redoctopus at gmail.com and if you like what we're doing leave us a review or a rating on our host site, just search Retro Redoctopus. Uh, thank you all for those ponderings, and without further ado, let's get to the second half of the show. So, I will kick things off with my second pick. The second pick being the Page Master. Uh... I am very excited about this movie and getting to talk about The Page Master. Uh, this was a hybrid live-action cartoon movie that was produced by Turner Pictures and Hanna-Barbera, uh, released by 20th Century Fox in 1994. It was written for screen by David Caskey based on six-page pitch by writer Charles Pogue entitled Library Days. And it was presented to Caskey by a producer, David Kirshner. Uh, it was directed by Joe Johnston, Steve. How cool is that? The live action part. And, uh, hmm. and Pixote Hunt and Glenn Shika were the animated part of the movie, which is, to be fair, 85% of the movie. I'd uh, even say 95. Uh, and then um, uh, the story, you know, basically boilerplate here. Uh, it follows a young boy named Richard Tyler, played by Macaulay Culkin. Uh, who constantly uses like probability and odds of things happening as justification to not do stuff. He's like, you know that six out of 10 people uh, crash uh, their bike when they're riding to school and back. You know that? Uh, do you know that uh, 12 out of 13 kids are allergic to peanut butter on Sundays? Uh, and so he just like says a bunch of <laughs> annoying bullshit and you're He's like, just dude, just Debbie like, Downer. Yeah. You're like, De God, man, just like Debbie, dude, just go outside. Uh, but so his parents are frustrated. They're trying to do things to get him to come out of his shell. So his father's been building him this tree house and he, he decides, he's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to help get, you know, rich out of, uh, out of his comfort zone here. And I'm going to ask him to go to the hardware store and pick up some nails that we need for building the tree house. That's all we need. Uh, and so, you know, he's coming up with all these excuses, all this malarkey and his dad's like, dude, fucking stop just do it so he goes and he he richard takes his bike and uh he drives he you know goes down the street and there's a bunch of road construction he like very you know deliberately avoids it make sure he doesn't get hurt or nothing um and then he as he's going into town this huge storm rolls in starts pouring buckets and he's got to just seek shelter at the town library it's like this huge amazing unbelievable library and uh while he's waiting for time, you know, to pass and for the rain to stop and whatever, uh, the librarian shows up, Mr. Dewey, who's played by Christopher Lloyd. Um, and this has to be like, this is my formative Christopher Lloyd uh, role. Like when I was growing up, this was the role that I really like knew Christopher Lloyd from. And it wasn't until later that I got to see all the Back to the Futures and everything. But man, 
the librarian, Mr. Dewey, the page master, boom, like this was so good and he had like just a magic twinkle in his eye in the like in the first scene when you when you meet him um and he speaks to him and he's you know just kind of asking him some questions and then he like sort of profiles him and identifies like what books would be perfect for for like what he's you know going through who he is all this other stuff um and so he insists that he gets a library card like he just the way he says that line is so (laughs) like it's a it's a sandwich it's like the library card like he's got so much like gravel and you're like oh my god a library card like as a kid it's just like this is a magic thing and uh dude christopher lloyd just said it like crazy weird and uh and so you know whole world of adventure and horror horror and fantasy beyond his wildest dreams awaited him. So, uh, so Richard, you know, naturally uh, asks to use a phone because you know going and checking out the books wasn't in his plan. Uh, but getting, he gets lost trying to find it, and he slips on some water and falls and knocks himself like right out, like cold out. And when he wakes back up, like everything's weird. It's like super quiet, and the lighting's different, and it just feels off. And uh, and then he's standing there, and the the mural on the ceiling just starts to melt, and like paint blobs start falling on his coat and everything. And the way that they the way that they animated this was wicked cool because they had actual physical paint drops landing on his jacket, and then they also had like cartoon paint that was happening like as it started to ramp up in like more urgency and so you had this perfect blending of like real paint and then the cartoon paint and this whole thing just starts to like melt into this tidal wave of paint coming at him and it chases him down and he gets completely consumed by this tidal wave of paint and he gets sucked into the world of fiction and he has to meet up with the book's adventure and horror and fantasy and he's trying to get to the exit of the library and at all times you can see the green letters of the exit sign off in the very far off horizon so he's always just trying to get closer to it like you know mount doom essentially right like just trying to always get closer to it and uh you're like um the the all the characters that he meets along the way are you know, from or intended to be from stories. So, you know, you have mm-hmm. these different books. Um, uh, Patrick Stewart plays adventure. Whoopi Goldberg plays fantasy. And Frank Welker plays horror. And so they guide him through the different elements. Horror is up first, and they deal with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, who's played by Leonard mm-hmm. Nimoy. Um, oh, I didn't, neat. I didn't, I didn't even know. know that. I know. He really, like, I feel like masked his voice. And, um, and Mr. Hyde was scary like no no shit at all like that that part was scary dr jekyll was very very nice very very like you know collecting everything and the way that they did mr hyde was really really scary and and awesome uh you get uh the um adventure is up next and they deal with all of moby dick and they have captain ahab george hearn and uh jim cummings plays long john silver and they're dealing with moby dick and they're getting chased by this white whale and there's this one amazing shot where it's like an aerial view and you see the boat and you just see this enormous like shape of a whale getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it's like so much wider than the boat that they're on and uh and i remember him just going it's a whale and it like bursts up and it's just it's really cool like that section was honestly a a scary part too Mm. um and then in fantasy they're they're dealing with a dragon and like jack and the beanstalk and all this other stuff and it's just really really well animated thus it looks 
very cool very very like kind of moody fantasy like just landscape and stuff like that just like mountains and and all sorts of different colors uh but yeah i mean they eventually he ends up leaving the you know the library and gets to the exit and he's like he's he's cured of all his like insecurities he's confident he's got you know he he wants to take risks he checks out some books he you know goes to the hardware store does what he needs to do he he rides his bike home and jumps off a ramp and like he's just like feels so much more confident and i thought that that was such a cool development for a, a story because you got to very explicitly see how you know nervous and trepidatious he was at the beginning of the book of the beginning of the movie and then at the end he's just so much different and you feel like he grew along the way. he he found his confidence he found his ability to do things and um you know when they get home you know he like sleeps in the treehouse for the first time and his dad's like you know dad and mom are both looking at him so happy that he was able to you know whatever do this whole thing and um it's just cool like it's it's kind of like a neat little note for the movie to end on but the the whole ride is fantastic i this movie did very poorly um it really did not make much money (laughs) it just tanked tanked to hell and it's a bummer because like i've watched the movie so many times and i just genuinely love it like i i don't think it's it's fair that it tanked and obviously this has been a running theme for a lot of the movies that we've talked about um but yeah i mean page master is an incredible movie and it wasn't until uh i met my my friend amanda in high school and we started talking about stuff she actually was also new the chipmunk adventure um but she grew up with the page master and she's like i've never met anybody else who knew the page master and i'm like ditto like say uh nobody ever talks about this movie um so very very cool really wanted to to get to give it its time in the spotlight and uh real quick the score was written by uh james horner who is known for a lot of uh movie scores that are notable including aliens willow the land before time jumanji braveheart titanic and more recently avatar the first one uh the amazing spider-man and the 33 the movie about the chilean miners so james horner is an absolutely celebrated accomplished uh composer he also um seems to work very closely with james cameron on a lot of products and projects and a lot of other stuff um but yeah i I mean the the score for this movie is no joke it's it's very very professional very well done and uh it's a it's a cool movie but i mean what what do you guys think any any thoughts on the page master oh i remember you remember you loved it and i remember the super nintendo game (laughs) <laughs> oh my god you like threw slime balls because there were slime balls anywhere in the movie like i remember the horror section of the game was where you started off and this game was like impossible it was like lion king on the fucking genesis hard and uh this it was like you had slime balls but you could only throw like as many as you had so you could run out of ways to attack and uh god i rented that game though multiple times because i just i wanted to force myself to like it mm-hmm. yeah i remember you always rented it yeah uh, some things yeah. just aren't worth it yeah no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. but uh yeah uh, i mean the scene that always stuck with me about page master was just i absolutely love christopher lloyd and going through and that first thing and he's like i need to use the phone and just watching christopher lloyd just get crushed 
Because <laughs> it, spoke, it really spoke volumes in that instance because, you know, it was during that age where um, computers and television and movies really were taking over as the medium of which, you know, the youth of the nation entertains itself. And mm -hmm. libraries are really going mm -hmm. by the wayside. And it was an extremely telling moment. And Christopher Lloyd did such an amazing job expressing how he was a librarian who loved his library and nobody went there anymore. <laughs> right. It was like He's just he, given the pitch of a lifetime to this kid. And the kid's just like, can I use your phone? <laughs> and you're it's like, like, oh, <laughs> it's down the hall, no left. <laughs> <laughs> and just, you know, watching him go back to his desk and writing in his books and just that, just seeing that crushing weight of ah, another one and just, you know, <laughs> lost another one to Geico. <laughs> I mean, it, it was such an amazingly well done moment. I, it, it really, you know, stuck with me for uh, for a very long time. Um, I remember, you know, the end conversation um, between uh, the page master and, uh, you know, Macaulay Culkin's character there. And just... Um, Richard. <laughs> and you, Richard. <laughs> I, I just, uh, you know, um, letting him know that you know, th there was a point to all of this, you know, uh, you, you need to grow, you need to become more, you need to become greater. And, um, personally, I thought it was a little heavy handed, you know, uh, spelling it out and whatnot, but the, mo uh, but the scene and the emotions and the intensity, uh, Christopher Lord just did an amazing job as the page master. He really, mm -hmm. he, you, you could tell that he cared about the character. Right. Yeah, it, it meant something to him because his performance was so in, incredibly genuine. And, you know, it's like he's not in that much of that movie, but he's such a memorable part of it. And especially when you get to hear him as the page master doing the, you know, doing the voiceover for this cartoon character, you know, it pulls you back. Because as soon as you, you know, he gets to speak to the page master and you recognize that it's the librarian, you're like, Oh my God! Like it, it, it's like that one link you needed to the real world because the whole time you're just like, I don't know. I guess he's just in the world of fiction now. I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, and and that was like the link that it's like, okay, he's he's still got a tie to the real world. This is you know, it's gonna end up being all right. And uh, and it was just really neat to to kind of hear hear that connection. Um, really, really, really cool movie. Uh, yeah, they yeah. they did a good job just de designing like a classic wizard look for him, you know, like, yeah, you know, he's like, you know, in the Pantheon, you know, up there with Gandalf and Dumbledore, like he just looks like a classic wizard type character. And, and something I really liked that I didn't notice the first time I saw the movie, maybe I noticed it the second time, but um, is that the way that they drew the, the, the beard um, was like, they look like they were supposed to look like scrolls. Like his beard oh, was white. I never even thought about that. You're right. But it's the way that they just drew it. And they're like pages, just scrolls coming down. Um, and I thought that was really a neat touch. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, really neat touch. And I always loved his scepter. You know, like the big rolled parchment with like the Saturn on top. Like it was just a very unique scepter. Um, I, have to look it up. I haven't seen it in a while. 
but yeah anyway um the page master it's it's great yeah. and um the 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 mural that's in the beginning of the movie that melts is mind-blowingly awesome like i that single like effect is so cool like just the 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 quality of the painting itself and then the whole scene and everything is just awesome um but anywho anywho enough from me um so mr jesse let's hear from you on your second pick all right well um try to tighten it up so i don't ramble quite so much my second pick is um i really enjoyed a lot of dark materials when i was a kid when i was uh, when i was younger the sort of things that um didn't really <clears throat> You mean like black velvet, like a dark material? No, I'm, I mean more like black cauldron. Oh, <laughs> the, yeah. the, or, oh, oh okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, more, the more darker mediums. And um, one of the things that really hooked me was Watership Down. Oh, wow. Um, I absolutely loved Watership Down. And I probably saw that movie at an age when I probably shouldn't have been watching that movie. Or at least somebody around. I think all of us did, to be honest. I think <laughs> right. I know everyone saw it when they weren't supposed to see it. <laughs> I mean, it, Watership Down. So, for those of you who aren't familiar, Watership Down is a lovely movie about a bunch of little bunnies who are making their way across the countryside. Yeah, no. They, <laughs> so good feelings, Con. <laughs> you. you that that feeling that you get from the last unicorn of feeling inherently unsafe, yes, that they really, really kind of uh, stick you with that knife early in Watership Down and just draw it out so slowly. Yeah. Um, they so the story revolves around this rabbit named Hazel, and he's got a brother named Fiverr, and Fiverr is the runt of the litter, and he is gifted with the gift of prophecy. He. Um, he warns his warren that uh, danger is coming and you know he, he comes across the sign and he says this is where this oppressive feeling of um lingering doom is coming from we've, we've got to leave we've got to go and one of the things that watership down really does is that um there's a lot of references that are pulled straight from the book and they never give you a glossary like nobody has ever given like an explanation as to half of the terms and words that get used in this movie but you figure it out over time like yep um you know osla is basically the police in the rabbit world and uh you know frith is their god and um heridadils are cars and you know you aren't really given mm -hmm. a glossary of what's going on and yep, you just get the context clues you know <laughs> and you sort of just smart you just figure it out yeah that's so true i didn't i didn't even think about that <laughs> yeah because you just you just organically figure it out it's like right yeah these words are all made up <laughs> yeah so they get uh, you know fire says that there's doom coming and he insists that they leave and hazel's like yeah well i've had enough of this place anyway so they go off and like the Osla from their original Warren tries to stop them because you know they they don't want um, they don't want dissension among the ranks. They don't want people going off and doing their own things because the rabbits are safer together. They're safer in their packs. They're safer in their warrens. Um, the more they stick together, the safer they are. And uh, you know, so they try to force um, Fire, uh, Hazel and Fiverr and his crew 
to stay in the Warrens, but you know they go, uh, they manage to get away, and like once they're out in the world, the first thing they encounter is the forest, and everything is like out to kill them. Um, it's and bad. Then they, and then they move on, and like they find this one patch where you know um, they've got high, tall grasses with scented flowers that are covering their scent. It's safe to stay here. And the one female in the group goes out to eat a snack and bang, gotten by a hawk. Like every inch yep. of this movie is just, <clears throat> you know, these, uh, this group is not in a good place and there is right. no guarantee that, uh, for their safety at all. And, you know, that is in essence, the story of Watership Down and their struggles and their hardships trying to get um, from their old Warren to the next Warren and, as time goes on, like they they wind up at a human cultivated warren, where the humans are giving the food to the rabbits and they're making sure they're maintained. Where at the same time they set snares for the rabbits, so that the rabbits wind up getting you know the, wind up getting killed off. And the rabbits that are staying in the warrens are these you know cult esque Jamestown rabbits who are just like. Yeah, you can stay here, eat the food. Everything's fine here. Everything's fine. Every just it's all good. <laughs> right, just totally like mind wiped. Like they're like, yeah, we live a great life. No, nothing. There's no danger. Everyone's so weird, and yeah. just trying to convince them to to leave that group um, is really tense because the leader of of them is like a monster rabbit. Like that guy is a beast. And there's just no freaking way that you're going to survive. Um, yeah, this movie's definitely, like, got just so much, like, drama and, and you know, this that never, you know, never feeling safe. It's very tense um, at all times. And there's some graphic moments and stuff like that. Uh, but it also just, like, it captures such a unique point in, in animation history. Like, the look of this movie and everything is so excellent and and just the way that like the story is told and the acting and everything like it you are a hundred percent behind the severity of the story about a bunch of little bunny wabbits like mm -hmm. at no point are you like oh it's just a silly little you know movie about bunnies it's it's no. like you take it seriously so fast like this is not messing around and yeah. the artwork and style is done so beautifully but it also gets so intense um, one of the rabbits winds up getting up and getting snared. And at first, everything's fine. But while they're trying to rescue this rabbit who got snared, he is literally choking to death on his own blood. It's like, this took a really hard turn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very hard left. And, you yeah. know, shortly thereafter, they get word from what happened to their own warrens where this, you know, housing development came in. And filled in all the holes to the warren, and like gassed them, uh, gassed out the rabbits. And this rabbit is telling the story from the perspective of the rabbits that you know, you know, this entire ward of rabbits is trying to dig their way out and just getting choked to death. Uh, you, the animation that goes along with this claustrophobic storytelling of how he is literally digging his way through the bodies of his comrades to escape this war and it's just like i am really young for this movie <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. 
They I not, should not have seen this. <laughs> they uh, they do not mince words. They do not. They never pretend for an instant that um, this is going to end well. And I mean, even even when they accomplish everything, the uh, the end of the movie has the black rabbit of death descending upon you know the the leader Hazel and being yeah. like. Come and join my Osla. Come and join my forces, and you know I guarantee you'll be happy here with me. <laughs> it's just like, yep. and you know, the main character just, just you can basically went to Rabbit Valhalla, you know, to yeah. fight in the <laughs> Rabbit Ragnarok. It's like, damn. I mean, what? in the in the book, yeah, he dies old, and they give the slightest indication of that, but like having like some of his hair on his eyebrows uh, changed to white. So he obviously, you know, he made it. But the problem is in the storytelling, which is bare bones, no connectivity. Um, you don't get that length of time, so you only get that he was attacked by a cat, that he survived a gunshot wound. So you have no idea whether or not he lived a long life and was able to watch over his Warren, or if after the events that occurred, he just succumbs to his wounds. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you have no clue how long he actually gets to gets to live. <laughs> and uh, it's it's jarring and it's dark, but I mean, it is an amazing story of just perseverance and you know um, drive and a willingness to overcome all odds. It's it's an amazing story for those reasons. But you really, you, you really yeah. chew on some metal to get there. It's 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 yeah. hardcore. <laughs> you through it for sure, Steve. Any thoughts on this one? Uh, this is the one I definitely saw when I was way too young, and I think I only saw it once or twice back in the day. I, I it it's hard for me to remember a lot about it, other than that I know it's legendary in its tone, and uh, in its you know inappropriateness, like essentially, and. Uh, uh, you know but it's it's revered you know i mean i remember the there was like a, a story that was like a telling of the ancient rabbits and there was like a uh like it's sort of like an african yarn sort of a feel to it where they're telling isn't that something something like that in there it's the introduction uh, to the movie uh, yeah the introduction the to the movie. yeah I, re I really liked that and um and i remember the the death the death rabbit um yeah the black was, rabbit of death was very was unique really like, cool very creepy uh, creep, and yeah creepy. that didn't and, look exactly like a rabbit you know just kind of had this like yep. general yeah and having the main character just sort of sail off like that at the end it's like yeah no he's just a rabbit he dies too um even though he wins the, the movie or whatever uh was, mm -hmm. was very sad and I didn't know what to do with myself. I had never come across anything like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I right. would like to see it again. Did either mm -hmm. of you two see the Netflix version that came out in 2018? It was like a show. I, 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 saw, that, I saw that they made a remake when, because um, I, I went back to rewatch the movie for this to make sure I, you know, remembered it accurately. And um, I saw the update that they did, but... Um, uh, there was just something inherently in me that was just like, no, okay. <laughs> we're, okay. we're, we're just, we're just gonna, we're going to leave 
what I know to be true, true for now. We're not going to yeah. introduce this conflict into the, um, into the realm because that it is a brave thing to do considering how much, how beloved the original movie really was despite all of the visceral reactions that people gave to this movie. It is still mm. very much no you don't you don't get to change this you don't get to touch this this is important the way it is and uh yeah i mean that's just the sort of visceral reaction i had when i saw they made an update yeah oh. <laughs> uh, right and and i mean you know for what it is like the the art style of the update just i don't know it looks very cheap and I, I mean, I'm just seeing like screenshots and everything, but it looks like from a art standpoint, they already didn't do it justice because it it should they should be going for something, you know, as as realistic as they can. Um, but they just look like it, it looks like a dollar store movie. Like it, it looks it looks kind of like. I don't know, like just a knockoff of of some like poor animation quality, you know. Oh, we 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 did we couldn't make Finding Nemo or or Shark's Tale, so we made, we made like Whale Story. You know, it's like this is like the Whale Story <laughs> of Watership Down. It just feels so. I don't know. Yeah, I I feel like the original cartoon movie still exists and is easily watchable on YouTube, and you can rent it and get it and anything like that. And if you're interested, definitely watch it um but be careful watching it around your children there's a lot of violence um but you know it's not like violence that uh is for no reason you know it's it's all serving the story and it's just serving to drive home the severity of, of what their situation is um but yeah and when the movie came out the big difference that really hit home with me was in the end when hazel dies i mean we all see i mean even in the dark crystal you know when the female lead is brought back to life after she sacrifices herself, there has been that Americana, Disney-esque, ingrained nature that if you, if you are the good guy, you survive. You win the day. Yep. And Watership Down really stepped away from that in the end where it was just like, yeah, you won. Right, you, but that doesn't is, mean... It doesn't necessarily mean that you get to live. Like you won in the fact that you you've established a new good safe home for all these different rabbits that you care about and all the future generations and you gave your life doing this. You yeah. know, and that's something that sometimes happens. And it, it it really, you know, for me it was that important distinction. This is this is something different. This is a story that um it it's important to be told correctly and you know i read and read the book later on uh, later on in life i actually um read it in school and going through the book i really enjoyed the book and it um it the book actually has i mean it gets to go into all of those tendons and all of the meat of the story and it is still violent and it is still dark but there are so many more lighter moments in the book because it has an opportunity to breathe to to give those you know there's still those tense moments moments of intensity where they're trying to where you know nobody is safe and things like that but 
you actually get to see them building their life and have those quiet moments that are, that are enjoyable and peaceful that really do carry a lot of weight. And I think that's what the movie was missing was mm. um, those quiet moments of enjoyment. I mean, they really only had uh, like one or two where they're relaxing in right, their even new in home. Spot. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah it, so that's my pick for the second movie of Watership Sweet. Down. Um, I always like the darker films and stuff like that, but uh, um, I didn't wind up watching things like Heavy Metal or Wizards or things like that till later on in life, as I should have. <laughs> those I actually haven't seen those myself. I've been wanting to, but I haven't. Uh, they get... Um, <laughs> <laughs> They sort they're, of they're a thing. <laughs> they're definitely a thing. My uh my dislike for the works of Ralph Bakshi is well documented on this show and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh man. All right. Well, you know, I'm glad you did Watership Down because I think it's one that people would shy away from and I I glad that it can still be a part of the conversation and i think that people should find the original animated uh feature if you are able um just just go out there find it look up that and uh and then decide if you want to watch the netflix one uh and from the sound of it the book sounds like a little bit of a easier you know easier time but uh either way definitely worth being part of the conversation and and was controversial but not very very far from being without merit like controversy made it you know really famous in a lot of ways but it's a great story either way. Um, all right, Parasite Steve, your second pick, sir. My, my pick, like Watership Down, is a animated film from the 70s based on a British kids book. And that movie is... The Hobbit, 1977. Had to do it. Had to do it. I don't care. Had to do it to it. Yep. Uh, this is one of my favorite things in the entire world. Uh, I mean, just like just yeah but they both are you know i mean this one and last unicorn i mean like both of them are just in my dna i watched this movie over and over and over and this one's like pretty short um you know i think i think it's so it's oh it's uh 70 oh, i just saw it uh where is it uh 78 minutes so it's really just you know very in and out yeah. and obviously you know yes it's derided for being too brief like you know it glosses over everything i get it however i don't care in my personal <laughs> opinion i think it works perfectly as a story and as a movie um as long as you're not getting caught up on all the stuff that you know is is missing from the book if you're just judging it on its own merit i think it is a wonderful wonderful short cartoon movie again same you know, character type design, same drawings uh, that we saw over in Last Unicorn that we saw in Flight of Dragons. Um, also, they will they will reuse a lot of the a lot of the cast and a lot of the drawings and stuff for the Return of the King that they did later. And uh, then, like if you know you're familiar with Thundercats and Silverhawks and maybe Tiger Sharks, same exact art style same exact style same they would draw certain things exactly the same way the mouth mouths would all move exactly the same way um and a lot of those animators went on to work for um oh Hayazaki. 
Yes, Studio Ghibli. Yes, yeah. Hayao Miyazaki. Um, so yeah, so that's why there's just nothing else that looked like that ever again. It just sort of ended with like the Thundercats, the Earth, Earth, Sea, and Land trilogy of Thundercats, Silverhawks, and Tiger Sharks. But you know what's random? Um, I had the Tiger Sharks theme song in my head driving to work today. Oh yeah, did you oh, catch no it by the tail? Anyway, uh, so The Hobbit is amazing. I don't care. Uh, a cra- crazy awesome cast. Uh, Orson Bean does the voice of Bilbo Baggins. Um, and, I mean, uh, like John Huston, Angelica Huston's father, John Huston, who is, became more of a director. He wasn't really that much of an actor later in his, in his later years, but he came and he did this. Uh, is Gandalf. And to this day, I've said this on the show before, this is my favorite version of Gandalf. I love Ian McKellen, but there is something about his voice. There's just, it's the one I grew up on. I get it. Like, that's kind of how it works. Sometimes your first one is your, your, your only, and that's, you know, it's hard to beat that first one. Um, and, uh, I, I just love him to death. I love this Gandalf. Gandalf is uh, a very important character for me. He's, you know, uh, you know, I, I mean, I've, I said this actually, we recently did a Lord of the Rings crow's nest episode with our Icelandic buddy, Lake Yadin, AKA Berker. And Berker. Uh, yeah, we, I, I said it in this episode, like this is my favorite like character of all time is Gandalf. Like it's hard for me to, I know it's, it doesn't really fit my personality. Like outwardly, that may not be the most obvious. Like you wouldn't pick a wizard if you played like, D&D. But... Right. But I, the, Gandalf is, my my favorite like i i just love him on so many levels there's so many things i could do a whole episode just talk about gandalf I, he's such a an incredible <laughs> character he's so incredible and in this you don't get much of him granted and this is another one of those things where we're talking like you know it gives you a little bit and you're just wondering and um and everything, but all the moments that he's in there are just fantastic. And for such a short movie, and for so so much missing connective tissue, they do pick really great scenes to show, and they do a really good job. And like, even though I'm actually a defender of the Hobbit trilogy that Peter Jackson made, uh, I I don't I don't care. I, we don't have to like you know fight about it or anything. I just I liked those movies. I yeah. understand that they. You know, didn't need to add all that. I get it. I still thought it was great. I, I just had a good Hobbit. time. I love yeah. the Hobbit. Okay, like I love the Hobbit. Whatever. Right. More is more. Give me. I don't know. I just love the Hobbit. So anyway. Yeah. So um, yeah. I uh, I, you know, I I I liked seeing the different versions and stuff of these characters. But there's something that I I just want to say, like comparing and contrasting, uh, and that's with the the dwarves in the com and the cartoon movie. And in the Peter Jackson trilogy, the dwarves like in the in the book too, and in the the cartoon, they, like there's thirteen dwarves, and or there's twelve dwarves plus Gandalf plus Bilbo makes Lucky fourteen. Um, the, none of them get characterization. I mean, it's like outside of Thorin, who's like the leader, the the prince reclaiming his kingdom from the dragon Smaug. Outside of him. 
the the characterization even in the book is so thin basically there's like balan gets a, a few lines and he's the one who kind of comes back at the end after the story's done in the epilogue and like visits bilbo so you're like oh him and balan were like kind of buddies there's like almost nothing else there's like uh, you know you know one of them like gets them out of trouble a couple of times you know one of them gets them in trouble a couple of times you know like there's just nothing to the characterization and in the peter jackson movies they 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 beefed up a lot of that but a lot of it was made up whole cloth because it had to be there wasn't anything mm -hmm. there but the dwarves in the peter jackson movie by and large there were some goofy ones but by and large they made them cool they made them in my opinion too cool so they were warriors a lot of them like felt like warriors they were especially the two young ones you know uh like Killian Philly, they, they were like, you know, sexy. There shouldn't be sexy dwarves in this movie. Give me a break. So anyway, what I loved specifically about the dwarves in The Hobbit is they were all over the hill. They were they were old. They were way past their prime. They had lived lives that were probably too comfortable for a long time. And now they had got it, gotten it into their head that they were going to go on this grand adventure. And none of them were up for it. They were all blowhards. They were all 100% full of shit, just completely full of shit. And they go and they get this hobbit only because Gandalf has convinced them that that's what they need. They need the littlest person to be the burglar because they're going to need that. That person is the missing key, not a fighter, but somebody who can, who is so small that they can sneak in and out and, and do different things. And that's what he's convinced them of. And they don't, they would never have gone to hobbits and they would have never thought of getting a hobbit nobody would only gandalf because he loves them loves the hobbits so anyway i love so much that they especially in the cartoon they give bilbo shit the entire time they are constantly just like these 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 like nags they're these like you know ungrateful nags these dwarfs because they're all just like old and, and crotchety and pathetic and they suck at everything basically and then Bilbo keeps getting them out of danger, which is amazing because he has lived. Nobody's lived a more comfortable life than him. All he right. knows is his garden and his his like pipe and his comfortable home, and and that's it. He's he's he, the most comfortable, the least likely to be good at anything out there, and he's constantly getting them out of trouble. And they just don't want to give them any credit they are just so frustrating and i'm like you know what i love that about them i do <laughs> wish they had more characterization but i love that the dwarves are pains in the asses and that it's 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 literally bilbo constantly having to get them out of shit and then uh, there is one point even in the cartoon where he's like you know you you say that you keep you keep telling me i'm terrible at everything but you're the ones who keep getting in these situations that i have to get you out of you know, it's like, what are, what are you saying? And y'all um, suck, not you know, me. When it comes to the end, uh, when they have the the big battle of the five armies, and Thorin like really insults him, and he's like, you know, you you're just such a little person, you don't know anything about war, and and he just doesn't doesn't listen to him. He doesn't, you know, Bilbo tells him don't do this, and Thorin's like, oh, you know, he's high on his own supply. He's like, oh, I can do this. I'm tough. I'm big. And I we just reclaimed our homeland. Blah blah blah. And uh, and then at the very, very end, there's this really great moment where it's Thorin's death scene after the battle and he's been mortally wounded and he lies there and he he asks for Bilbo to come see him. And, you know, he he apologizes and he says, you know, it's you know, I I I, I wounded you. I shouldn't have 
said those things. They weren't true. Um, I said, you didn't know about war, but it was me who didn't know about war. I'm the one. I'm the fool. You're not the fool. You were the wise one. And, and I'm sorry. I, I should not have said those things. I, I couldn't have been more wrong. And I'm sorry that it took until this moment where I'm dying for me to see that. And Bilbo's just beside himself because, you know, he doesn't really, he's not really holding a grudge or anything. He's just a sweet right. guy. But so I, I, there's just, there's just a lot to The Hobbit. There, even in this 78 minute version, there truly is a lot there and there are deep feelings there. And there's, there's a lot in there that I think is wonderful. And I, I truly hate that it is just so often cast aside by even Tolkien fans or maybe especially Tolkien fans who of which I'm a, a large one. I'm mm -hmm. a large Tolkien fan, but like, I, I just, Oh yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's so, it's so it's barely a summary. Like it's, it's nothing. It's, it's worthless. There's so much value in this. Uh, in my opinion, I love this movie endlessly. I rewatched it a couple of weeks ago and um, I just, absolutely still love every second of it the the music is so good and i didn't i wanted to talk about the music a little bit more with last unicorn the music was done by america the band america the you know horse with no name band and um and this is uh this is done by glenn yarbrough it's very folky but it's all everything's minor everything is minor as oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, it is so worn kind of ranking creepy sound. and dark and like there i remember like there were moments in this where just the notes they would play like just two or three notes and there would be like a sting there would be like a bling and like it would make my eyes well up like i i You're just like, it affected oh, me i don't what are these emotions Ooh, yeah not, oh. just, not even understanding why Right. You know, it's just it, that's how it affected me. The the, the like the sorrow, the it's just, it's just it's just the melancholy would get into you, and you just yeah. hear it, and yeah. it's like my god, it's just everything is is just setting the stage for this dark again, dark fantasy tale. Um, certainly not as dark as Watership Down, but dark, you know, and, and the colors right. are very just like just like I said with Last Unicorn, the colors are very muted, very drab. Most of the dwarves are wearing gray or brown or whatever. And hilariously, this is the one this is the one design element I really can't get behind is that they made Gandalf blue. Like <laughs> what? Right. Like what happened? What? Why? There are so many people who wear gray in this. Why would you not give like, Gandalf a gray cloak? I don't even mind that they Gandalf didn't do his hat right. His hat, like it's fine, like whatever. I prefer the brim, but whatever. But why would he be blue? They're oh, that's that's the one thing that sticks in my craw with this. But uh, now I, I I love it to death. So uh, the Hobbit. Uh, awesome. I'll shut up. I'll shut hey. up. Are you going to mention the other thing? The I other mean, thing. If you're going to mention the music from the Hobbit, are you going to mention the other thing? The other musical thing from the Hobbit. The fact that there are songs. The fact that. Leonard Nimoy sang Bilbo Baggins. Oh, God. Well, luckily, that's not in Bilbo, this movie. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins. That song is so fucking bad, and it's like, he's so flat. He's so he's flat. Yeah, it's not, it's not it's a good awful. performance. It's awful. Oh, God. Uh, 
Oh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, the Rankin Bass uh, Hobbit movie was one of the one of the movies I actually bought the second I saw it. Like it, it was one of those movies that didn't get released until later on home video. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I saw it, yeah. I was like, I need to own a copy of that. Um, it has one of my favorite lines from any movie of all time, and that's just smog when you know Bilbo's first going in there and um you know Bilbo is just talking him up and telling him mm-hmm. how great he is and yeah. Smog's just sitting there. You have nice manners for a thief. Yeah a liar. <laughs> Don't so know why good. but that that line just stuck with me. I just love that so much. I love that scene so frigging much. <laughs> it's so unbelievably good and uh Smaug was voiced by Richard Boone, who's kind of like a classic Western actor. He was in like a lot of Westerns and his voice is so unbelievably good. There's so much color to his voice and uh, they, they designed that dragon so strangely. He looks like a giant <laughs> cat. dragon. Yeah. He's yes. so weird. But again, I, I don't care that he's ugly. I don't care that you know he doesn't look like a typical dragon he is so memorable for years i was like anytime i saw like one of the old drawings of you know from paintings of like from the 60s and and you know earlier or whatever well it was written in the 60s but like of of smaug and he just looks like a regular dragon i was always bored by that i'm like no i like i like the cartoon version granted right. i'm admitting nostalgia plays a large factor but it's so much more unique. It's just, yep. you know, there's something about it. He's covered in fur. I mean, and there's something about that scene where, where they talk about the smell of dragon. Like the second that they open the secret door, it like wafts out and instantly hits them. And all the dwarves are like, oh my God, what is that reek? And they're like, oh, it's the dragon. So just the thought of it, it's like, wow. He you must, can, you can must imagine the so stank on that dragon fur, you know, that matted, yeah, you know, yeah. gold-laden dragon fur. You're like, oh, yeah, that's sweaty. That's yeah, and, and the sound design, too, whenever Smaug would move, they had these, like, tinkling the sounds playing of, like, the coins and the gold, like, falling off them. They didn't even, I don't think, animate it always. It was just a matter of the sound, and it's like, oh, my God, they thought of that. And it's so good. It's so great. You really, you really, truly feel like he's so large. And you know, I do love the the movie version with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch quite a bit. I like the design of of Smaug. He looks great. He looks more like a regular dragon, but they made him, you know, unique enough. But yeah. it is funny. It's like this is the condensed version, and I, you know, I do prefer it. Is just it was just so perfect and there are those moments like that yeah you have nice manners for a thief and a liar yeah and he's just bilbo's just talking him up he's like oh wow smaug the magnificent i just i just had no idea if the stories were true but here i see they they fall completely short of your magnificence he's just like feeding him everything just to try like see if there's any yeah, he's just trying to like drag it out to see if he can find some sort of a weakness, just something, right. you know. And of course, he ends up finding the patch on his right Scale. breast that's bald and and scaleless and makes no sense whatsoever that he could even see it, let alone someone else could 
hit it with an arrow, but hey, whatever. Hey, Fine. that's what the MacGuffin we needed. It's um, yeah, <laughs> no, that's 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 an awesome one. Um, and you know what, the scene with him in in the gold and everything it reminded me of uh, of of another thing that I loved from Flight of Dragons is they have Alethea explaining that dragons sleep on gold because their body temperature is so hot that they burn or melt most things, but gold being a metal is the softest of all metals, so it's the most comfortable for them to sleep on. Oh, and I'm like, love it. I've never <laughs> fucking thought about that at all, ever. I always was like, right. why do dragons just hoard gold? But I'm like, ah, oh, man. So like, that, that stuff is so cool. It's so it interesting, is. and it just makes your mind, like, go. And yeah. I love that stuff. But yeah, um, that scene with Smaug in, in The Hobbit is so memorable and good. Of, and yeah, I, I forgot how feline he looks. He really does look so singular. Awesome design. Yeah, absolutely nuts. And between, you know, Flight of Dragons and uh, The Hobbit, uh, the Rankin Best, one of the impressive things about the Rankin Best Studios was their incorporation of lines in living things. Because there were just so many lines in, like, the scales mm-hmm. and the underside of the dragons in both movies. And it's like, you have to keep track of that stuff and you have to animate all of these things. And just it was always impressive to me how this uh, this particular animation studio um you know cared about those sorts of details uh the thing about ranking my stuff being ugly like the dwarves were these warded characters they had you know deformed features in their face and their bodies and they were knobby and stubby and you know you had to keep track of that sort of thing when you were animating these characters. And it's just mm. like, it, it was something that I didn't appreciate when I was young, but as I got older and, you know, a friend of mine was really getting into art and getting into like small details and like the things that took the longest were the, the things that just were repetitious and small details and things like that. And very impressive stuff. Yeah, for sure. They did. They did not ever, you know, go for like, oh, let's just do like a big patch of solid color here. You know, <laughs> it's like everything has so much, you know, texture to it for an animation house. That yeah, I mean, those Rankin Bass movies have such a such a texture and a quality to everything mm-hmm. in there, um, for sure. Awesome. All right, guys. Hell yeah! Thanks so much for this. We got one more. We're gonna go to Nintendo's final, and uh, and then we'll bounce back, and we'll do a little B segment, and then we'll do a little ha and a ha and a ha and we'll be out of here. So mm-hmm. uh, so let's hear from Nintendo. My second pick would be the Secret of Nim, which Nim stands for National Institute of Mental Health. Apparently, I, I'm just finding this out now. Um, so yeah, this movie came out on July second, nineteen eighty-two, and it runs at around ninety uh, eighty-nine to uh, eighty-two minutes. So it's not that long of a movie. Um, this movie is not at all a musical, <laughs> so that's so that, that's that's a plus. That's a you know that's an automatic win in my book. Um, the artwork and and animation is just outstanding. It's outstanding. I absolutely love the style of animation and artwork or drawings or whatever it is so good um so the movie itself is all about um this field mouse her name is uh miss ms or mrs uh brisby 
and she lives in a cylinder block with her children, and she is a widower, and she, um, no, I'm sorry, she's a widow, a widow, a widow, Joe, a widow. <laughs> um, she lives in a cylinder block with her children, and she longs to move out of there because this cylinder block is in some field where uh, a lot of uh, field plowing happens, and it's going to happen soon, so she wants to move away, but her youngest uh, son Timothy has fallen ill, so she goes on this on uh, this quest to find um, medicine to help uh, her her son, and um, she does eventually do that. But on her on her way home, uh, she befriends this crow or bird. Yeah, it's a crow um, named Jeremy, and he's just a, a clumsy a clumsy little fuck. That 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 clumsy that clumsy crow guy. So fucking clumsy. Um, he doesn't give a shit, though. Not at all. So Jeremy is basically like the comic relief of the whole movie. Um, but don't let that fool you. I mean, this movie is pretty fucking serious. Like, like people fucking die in this movie, and they show blood and all that stuff. Um, which is crazy for a kid's movie. But hey, you know, we've seen crazier than that. So Mrs. Brisby, you know, she makes it home to her son and gives him his medicine, but he has to stay inside for three weeks or else he will die. Again, here we go with the with the, the whole dying thing, like kids dying, like Jesus fucking Christ, that is so serious. <laughs> like, oh my god. Anyways, so the the plower, the plower guy, the I uh what's his name? Uh I don't think that they have a name, but the, the last name is uh Fitzgibbons. Uh, well, I guess he's called Farmer uh, Fitzgibbons Gibbons in this movie. Um, so he, he decided to plow early, and so Brisby has to come up with a plan, like, immediately to um, help get her kids out of their home and, like, get, get to a safer place. So Jeremy takes uh, takes her to to meet the uh, the Great Owl, and... and uh, the great owl tells her to just you know, go to the the rat the, the rat colony uh, that that lives beneath uh, the rose bush on the farm to to help her out and um, so she goes and wherever and, and she encounters like an aggressive guard rat named Brutus um, he uh, just chases her away or whatever and so she is led back in by by Ages who is uh, her late husband's friend. Um, who helped her uh, get the medicine for her son in, in the beginning of the movie. Um, but without going into too much detail about the movie, um, I don't want to give you know, a lot of stuff away. Like, I, I can do sometimes, but I really don't want to because I think everyone should watch this movie if you haven't seen it already. Um, it's excellent. It's an excellent movie. Um, it's good for the kids. It's good for the kids, you know? <laughs> um yeah, it's a really good movie. I enjoyed it. So that that's basically my my second pick. So yeah. All right. I mean, this is this is kind of a big one to end on. Secret of Nim. Secret of Nim. This that that's a great choice. Yeah. I mean, this movie really. Uh, I this isn't a movie that I watched a lot of times, but when I came up with the idea for this episode, this movie was one of the first things I thought of. I was like, Secret of Nim. Like this Absolutely. this definitely absolutely stands apart so many people love and respect this movie and for being a non-disney animated feature it's like secret of nim like this is the conversation if nothing don bluth also you know who also did the american tale 
Yep. And Land Before Time and All Dogs Go to Heaven and lots of other ones. Like he was another big, he was a big, like in the, in the 80s especially, he was a big animator, competitor of Disney. He was always putting yeah. out stuff. And he did, you know, Dragon's Lair, the arcade game that everybody knows. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Awesome animation. And yeah. Space I mean, just- Ace. Space Ace, oh, yeah, <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, Nintendo obviously said said his piece on it, but I mean, do we have any other any other things that you guys want to kind of oh, drill I, on about? I watch mean, it a million times, love it so much. I mean, I talked about it a little bit, but Jesse, I don't know if you have something. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, aside from uh, the quote from Smog, m- one of my second favorite lines of all time from the great owl oh best, best sequence <laughs> step into my house come inside or go away <laughs> it's just like come inside <laughs> or go away yeah, that line i mean i, I just caradine uh it, it it resonates even to this day it was amazingly done just um, I, I think that the Secret of Nim got a hard, uh, got a bit of a bad rap back in the day, just because um, of that bones and sinew situation. There were a lot of there were a lot of constru- uh, concepts built into the Secret of Nim in the background that were not fleshed out in the slightest. Yeah, and you. Uh, I mean, you had to make patchwork. You had to, you had to care enough about the movie to try and piece it all together. Yeah, it it asked you as a reader to meet it halfway. Mm-hmm. Like, like to to. It's not all going to be you know dumped on you. <sighs> right. Yeah. So good though. For Another sure. really dark film. Really dark. Just yep. seeing the the you know Constant. the lab the lab rats get um, injected and everything everything was done everything was hyper scary to a mouse like things that would be hyper scary to a mouse like that's not real I don't believe that's truly what the cat looked like dragon I don't believe that's truly what the owl looked like that is how the mouse viewed um, it. a yep. mouse saw those things yeah it's through that's the lens amazing. of the terrified mouse it's super mm-hmm. super heady and, and cool. those two things were so scary honestly and uh, the great owl is my favorite sequence uh <laughs> you know as voiced by john carradine my god uh i mean what a freaking legend you know father of david carradine and robert carradine and all the all the other i think there's keith carradine there's probably it's probably like too many carradines i don't know do we need do we need this many carradines but john was the uh progenitor man was that guy old i'm just looking up geez he was born in 1906 died in 88 um yeah he's he's the star of a, a ton of movies from the uh 40s 50s and 60s that i i quite enjoy that those eras but um the fact that he did an animated movie in the eighties, right at the end of his life, and it, he was the freaking great owl in this movie is just insane. He's I so know. Awesome. Yeah, what a great role to I have. I mean, the the, the freaking domain, like I, it's like I would forget as a kid when I would see it. She goes inside and he's, she's just in a tree. There's not like and it's not a pocket dimension, but like <laughs> that's what it feels like. She's right? just it's just endless corridors and things to fall down and and there's spiders and cobwebs and all this stuff. It's like it's just a hollow tree. <laughs> oh my god, it's so awesome. So awesome. Yeah. 
just, I mean, I think a lot of people from the Retroids, you know, re- were name dropping Jeremy the Crow. This movie is loved. This movie is known and appreciated. So, um, and Jeremy are reassuring her on the way to the Great Owl. That, <laughs> Owls eat mice only after dark. <laughs> that doesn't help nearly as much as you think it does, buddy. <laughs> Not even at all. Oh. All right. Well, guys, this has been a, a hell of a show here uh, that pretty much, I'd say, wraps everything up. Thank you so much for sticking with us for this uh, this walk through all these non-Disney fantastic animated features. Um, so we are going to wrap up shortly, but um, we are glad that you're still here. And we have one more thing for you. So we are going to go to that before we say goodbye. And now it's time to dive off the edge of the map with another edition of Dime Monster. The video game bestiary of annoying enemies that really need to just fuck off. What? Hey everybody, Parasite Steve back on the mic with another Die Monster. I haven't done too much of these lately, but um, I don't think it's not like I ever did too many of these, but uh, it's, you know, here's one for you. Um, this is where I, you know, get to just bitch about uh, an enemy in a video game that's that pissed me off recently. So I, I've been, I've been, I mentioned this on a show before. I've been recently, like this year and a little bit of last year, kind of playing through some older ps4 games that were games that came out like maybe you know eight to ten years ago that i sort of you know never got around to playing um so right now i'm what the backlog getting to that backlog yeah so i'm currently playing my very first monster hunter ever and i'm playing monster hunter world for the ps4 and i've been having fun and i cannot effing believe that i'm already like over 80 hours because i am just not that type of person i don't know where the hours went but anyway so there is one monster in this game that pissed me off so bad. He's like more than the others by, by so much. I'm just going to bitch about him. So this is the Uragan, and uh, it's kind of a later in the game sort of a monster. Um, it shows up in the Elder's Recess level. And this dude is the guy that's like covered in like rocky looking scales, and he's got a big Jay Leno chin. Oh, this yeah. Big old, big old like. What was the crim- the crimson chin? He's like got a crimson chin. <laughs> chin. He's also gold. He's like gold. <laughs> so uh, this guy is ugly as all get out. I think he's the ugliest monster that I've personally seen in this game. He's just so freaking hideous. And he's such a pain in the ass to fight. He sucks. I hate him. He like he constantly like will he'll he'll throw out like bombs, which is just dumb rude he's like it's like what what how do you have these like what are they exploding scales like what are I these mean, stupid ass I things i mean yes that is actually yes that's what they are so <laughs> he, he'll like with. throw <laughs> exploding scales aka bombs and then so you have to like run away from them like let them explode and then you're like okay now i gotta hurry up go back to him and then by that point Usually he because he rolls up into like a ball and he'll just roll around the room for a while and you got to get weight through that freaking cycle and just try to stay away from him. And it just takes forever to kill this guy. And they were like, so when I had first gotten to this level, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll kill some uh, some some new bad guys here. So I'll go. uh, I'm like, oh, this ugly asshole keeps like jumping in my path. So I'll, I'll go after this dude. And like. 
eventually when you're just like in an expedition mode, like they will eventually just like peace out and they're like, yeah, I'm done being in this level. I'll just go away and I'll just <laughs> dig into the ground and be gone. And it'll say like, you know, the monster you're, you're chasing has left the level. And this happened to me two times. And I swear I was fighting him for like over half an hour, both times. I'm like, I was so freaking pissed. And the <laughs> third time, the third time, is the only time I've ever actually killed one. Because after that, I'm like, I don't care. I don't need this guy's stupid, ugly armor. I don't need anything from this asshole. Just go away. I don't care. I want the Jay so, Leto like, chin. The, I don't care. The Jay Leto chin. Like, so the, the third time, I beat him. But it said the monster you're, you're, you're uh, tracking will be leaving the area in 10 minutes. And like I, I killed it in that in that window. So like it was... It was, like- it was I still like almost didn't do it. But clench been, intensifies. There like, has uh... been no other creature in this whole game that that like you know not the Nergigante, not like any of the three elders. Valhazak, you know. Valhazak's my bitch. I, I like killed him twenty Krushala times. Like, Deora ain't no thing. No problem. Like this guy just. Fuck absolutely went up my ass sideways and that is painful because he explodes <laughs> he's a bunch so, of like square barbs so, that blow up yeah so to oregon i will say die monster you don't belong in this world go fuck yourself <laughs> <laughs> nice i am glad uh, another die monster got to uh, to surface because i always i always take some delight and uh, it's fun <laughs> Uh, it's fun shit. Um, all right, folks. Um, uh, to our guest Jesse, thank you so much for being on the show. Your your knowledge, your insight, your experiences, everything made this episode so awesome. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, so thank you very much, Jesse. That was really great. Well, thanks yeah. for having me here. I appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, absolutely. Um, so you know, uh, we are we are going to be just kind of rocking and rolling keeping these episodes coming out fast we got a bunch of crazy cool interviews out there if you haven't heard them yet go check them out we have i mean frank Dietz, andy parks we have uh frank conniff was an older one but i mean if any of you out there haven't gotten a chance please check out some of the breaks some of the interviews we have some great authors too steve that you've gotten to do um larney trainer was just on uh yeah. about a week ago uh andy parks actually is going to air in a week from today from okay from the date so he's coming out. out from this he's coming okay. out uh and you know he's he's the star of uh the trail of the screaming forehead and lost skeleton of cadavera and all the larry blammeyer movies uh we're just a huge fan of him and it was really really cool getting to this just you know talk with him and hear his stories yeah. you know he's been in the industry for 60 years he's been in hollywood Dude. and yeah it's absolutely awesome so yeah definitely don't yeah. miss that yeah we've been we've been really having a good time with that so thanks so much for listening yeah. to this episode and you know please give a give a listen to some of the other stuff we got out there and we're gonna you know keep that stuff coming so you know hey if you like what you heard you know the drill hit the subscribe button and like us on facebook and twitter as well as being part of the inebriart podcast network retro octopus is also a member of the dorkening podcast network so if you get a chance please check out our sister shows like hooked on movies nerds of unusual origin bear at night and shark bites for more information or to subscribe to us or any of these great shows, please visit thedorkening.com and be sure to check out our killer sponsors, Deadly Grounds Coffee. That's coffee to die for. Yeah, I've been your host, 
8-Bit Alchemy, and I'll see you next time. For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.